This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. <laughs> oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh, yeah, you could be king, king, king of these mess. You know <laughs> I am the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Cousin. That's about some unadulterated bullshit. This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn. Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me. This is a show where we cover TNA history one month at a time. This week we're talking about December 2003 in TNA history. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined as always by my co-host Liam Jones. Liam, howdy. Howdy ho, neighborino. Liam, if we were at an award show together and you said something mean about my potential wife, I would I wouldn't punch you in the face. I would. It's disrespectful. I love the way this happened last night and then I went to bed and woke up and then I saw the discourse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and hear my my take on it, Garrett. Are you are you dying to hear my take? Sure, what's your take? My take is that they're both right. <laughs> hey, Chris Rock is fully in the right to make that joke. It's- that's what you do at an award show, and Will Smith is fully in the right to slap him in the fucking face for it. Because these things always have, like, the same news cycle. It's the same process of, there's the period where everyone makes jokes, which is the best bit. Yeah, that's when we peak as a humanity. When a, a large major event happens, and everybody rushes to do a goof on Twitter. Very good. Yeah, we all got that. And there were some great ones. Then some horrible person comes along, and he's like, well, actually... I think this is a meditation about <laughs> violence. <laughs> and then you go the step further and the dumb US political brain people come in. And it's like, yeah. this is how Trump happened. Or it's like, this is the consequence of woke cancel culture. And you're like, you people who could only process things through the lens of American political ideology should be banned from Twitter so that we never have to see you again. Uh, yeah, it's a, it was a it's a great goof, a great laugh, and, and you know, like I don't know, let's be real, they probably like squashed the beef immediately afterwards too. Because there's a clip of Will Smith dancing to getting jiggy with it at one of the after parties. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah, they probably like had like a three minute conversation about how <laughs> how it went down, and then moved on with their lives as extremely successful rich people. It's not like they had another brawl at an after party. Yeah, then then you're like, all right, let's go. This this is spicy. But um, yeah, yeah, no, you're caught up in the moment. My favorite video is the full video where it's like he laughs for a split second, obviously turns around to see Cheetah's reaction. It's like, oh, I have to hit this guy now. And then there's like the whole Chris Rock processing it. Oh, Chris Rock's great because my favorite part of like his reaction was when he's like, should I, should I, should I? <laughs> he has like this moment of like, should I? Do I? Do I push this? Do I? <laughs> Because he has like this, this he he says it verbally. <laughs> he goes, "I could," and it's like he he really wanted to just go in there. <laughs> I think there's a bit of him that thinks the way Will Smith punched him was a bit. Oh, at the start for sure. He also ate it. The chin on this guy. He no sold it. Well, terrible. He would be a horrible pro wrestler if he actually appeared in TNA. The reason, of course, we're talking about this so in depth is that Chris Rock is a former TNA alum. Yeah, Will Smith maybe too. We haven't got there yet. 
he went through that whole process of he tried to like you know go with it then he saw will smith was actually mad the first instinct and the instinct i respect was he immediately bowled his fist as if he was going to punch him back and then composed himself because i think he thought was this a bit that i wasn't a part of and then he realizes will is actually mad and then he's just kind of stunned for a while he was stunned for a second no he was angry for a second because there Mm. was that second where he's like I can push this right now further and you're going to be the one who look, comes out of this looking bad. And then it's, he go, he swiftly turns to the, are we still going to do this? As he looks around at the people behind the stage to be like, do you want me to just pretend that didn't happen? And then the realization of, let's get this shit over with. Yeah, it's just like, I guess we're talking about documentaries again. The best bit, of course, would have been sending him out to read off Actor of the Year. <laughs> yeah, Actor of the Year. Fuck, it's Will Smith. <laughs> uh, he, he refuses to hand him the Oscar. Yeah, he, he throws the Oscar at him. Like, bitch! It is amazing to see the like the like what will be the most famous Oscar moments in our lifetime in real time. Yeah. You know, in 20 years, people are going to be like, remember when Will Smith punched Chris Rock at the Oscars? Yeah. He gave him the, the Enoki slap. Oh, uh, the way he had his little hand up as well. He, like, that's a, that man is... A man of the stage. <laughs> he know he knows how to make a slap look good. Performer. Yeah. I never want to hear um, wrestlers give out about no-selling anymore, because Chris Rocket just got punched live on television and no-sold it, so uh, that means a wrestler can no-sell whatever they want. We can, we can stop saying punched. My man didn't get punched. It's more dramatic if you say punched, though, Liam. Yeah, but if he got punched, he probably would have gone down. <laughs> <laughs> Although, with that chin, who knows? He didn't even touch his face! Chris Rock didn't, like, reach for his face to go, like, ow, my face fucking hurts. He just kept composure the whole time. Maybe Will is too used to throwing staged punches. <laughs> Maybe. It, there is, like, the good photo of, like, the little ripple, which is always fun when you watch someone get hit. Because it's the that's the, the MMA thing. MMA people and boxers, traditionally, when they transition to pro wrestling, have absolutely horrible worked punches. Yeah, because they don't want to actually kill the person. So maybe it's the other way around, where it's if you were used to doing staged punches. <laughs> well, Chuck Taylor used to say that. He's like, he, he used to talk about how he was always deathly afraid he'd get into a real fight. Because he'd think he'd just, he'd go up and work punch and go. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else going on? Since you've been asleep? <laughs> Since we last talked to our listeners two weeks ago, I suppose. Oh, God. No. I finished Elden Ring, so I'm free. There you go. I haven't started it yet, but I'm, I mean, I do have the, the burning urge to play it. It's, it only took me 85 hours. That's a lot of commitment. You, as a content fiend, will love the amount of content in that game. I do love content. But I, do, I don't like a non-linear experience, so it's a real... It's a real I mean, torn in two directions. <laughs> it's also hard. I don't mind hard games. Yeah, I thought you always get mad at hard games. I do. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Fair enough. Maybe I don't like hard games. I don't like easy games. I like a middle ground. I don't like to lose, but I like a challenge. Mm. Like I want to, I want to do it first try, but I want it to be a hard first try. Right. That's that's the perfect mix. That seems like a very difficult balance to get. Well, that's why game developers have to work twenty five hour days, <laughs> just so they can satisfy your weird urge for it to be hard for for you not to lose. Yeah, that's the perfect balance. Mm. So nothing else? Uh, not really. We we did Rain Takers episode two. Oh yeah, I suppose we should talk about the Patreons. Yeah, we should do this at the start. This was when most people listen. 
Hey guys, go follow the podcast account. We're almost at a thousand. Well, we're not. We're almost at nine hundred. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> only ten percent of the total that we have left. I guess. Yeah, we're at ninety percent. I'd 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 count that as almost. I guess we are closer to a thousand than we are not closer to a thousand. Closer to a thousand than we are seven hundred. <laughs> so you can go follow us at TNA History Pod. But yes, at Patreon, you can go listen to our, our New Japan Retrospective show on Patreon, which is on the $5 tier. And we're almost to a thousand patrons. Yes, if we were, we'd all be able to quit our jobs and do this full time. Please. Everyone who follows us on Twitter should go pay us the highest tier possible. God, then we'd be swimming in it, wouldn't we? Mm. But yeah, Brain Takers, right in your Patreon feeds right now. Also, the Ring Tacking series is there, and we'll be doing a bunch of end-of-year retrospective content on patreon in the coming weeks we're covering december 2003 in tna so we will be doing our end of year draft for 2003 tna where we take the tna roster from the year that is 2003 put together our own rosters and then put together a show and then you can vote on who's the best mine was best last time suck it liam which means i get the first draft pick you know what sure you can have it yeah i need it (laughs) And we'll also be doing our end-of-year awards show for 2003 on Patreon as well, giving out some awards for the best and maybe the worst of 2003 TNA. So there's lots of exciting Patreon stuff. As always, I'd recommend that you wait until the turn of the month to subscribe. Wait until Friday so that you don't get charged twice. If you subscribe between now and Friday, you'll get charged between now and Friday and charged again on Friday. So subscribe on Friday. But go to patreon.com slash kidding me for Rain Takers, for Ring Cat King, for the watch along of NWATNA pay per view number 75, the last show of 2003, will be there now as well. As well as the show notes, which are 10 pages, 11 pages today of notes on the shows we're about to cover, including everything that happened, and all the news notes. And occasionally there's some notes we don't, we don't even get to. So there's like bonus content in the show notes. It's like a book chapter on the month of TNA that is December 2003. All of that, plus our star ratings, waiting for you at tnhad.com or patreon.com slash kidding me. Three tiers, very approachable for everybody. Go subscribe. Three tiers for us. Hip hip. (laughs) Hooray. Hip hip. Hooray. Hip hip. Hippo. Crit. Damn, owned. Let's go. Speaking of hypocrites. So yeah, let's start the news with the probably last Hulk Hogan update for a while, or at least last significant one. The House of Cards has come crumbling down. Hulk Hogan is not going to TNA. What? I know, it's a shocker. But Garrett, I was I was promised that he would be there in the asylum. He said it. He's like, I'm going to go to TNA because he has unfinished business and he wants to win the NWA title and he got beaten up by Jeff Jarrett and he just never came back. Jeff Jarrett is just too strong a force, Liam. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess he's just, he's too scared of Jeff Jarrett. He got hit by a guitar with Jeff Jarrett and pussied out like a bitch. Yeah, it has to be that. He had to have seen how Jeff Jarrett ran through all of Jimmy Hart's soldiers. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I can't go out there. Have you seen how Jarrett's killed everybody? I can't. I can't be next. He saw the hit list. He put the hit list on television. And literally the week later is when it's like, no, it's over. It's done. We can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I assume that was like part of their like, all right, fuck you, man. <laughs> Moment with the, like... We're just gonna cl- we're gonna take it as a we we Jeff beat you. 
Yeah, the, which is kind of what they do, because on the December 3rd pay-per-view, there is a very throwaway line from Mike Tanay on commentary where he talks about how Hulk Hogan has not responded well to knee surgery and how his appearance in TNA will be postponed. And he even makes sure to emphasize that his international appearances have also been postponed because he was still on tap to do the Tokyo Dome. And even when Mike Tanay said that, apparently New Japan were still like, he's doing it right. <laughs> so when he's like, <laughs> he's also cancelled all of his international bookings, that was news to New Japan Pro Wrestling too. Yeah. This guy, man. Well, to be fair, that's how they probably should do it, you know? They should claim it as Jarrett won. Try and get as much like heat from it as you can possible. Especially because this is like a considerable instance of having to save face. There will be another one of those this month as well. But... Like, the company bent over backwards for this guy. They removed Vince Russo from their writing team so that he could come in. Gigantic mistake, apparently. (laughs) That's what we've learned from this. They made Jeff Jarrett NWA champion so he could come in. They turned Jeff Jarrett heel. They turned AJ Babyface. Like, they they bent over backwards. They had Jimmy Hart all over TV. They built the storyline for, like, three weeks. They continued to build the storyline even after he pulled out of the original Bound for Glory date. So they've, this is a company that bent over backwards to appeal to bringing this man in. And then, uh, like the news note, Hulk Hogan, after not returning calls from TNA for over a week, finally informed TNA that his knee was not responding well to the surgery he had last month and that he was cancelling all in-ring appearances until further notice. That meant TNA's plans to run a three-hour Sunday pay-per-view in February were off the second time they've decided to postpone a special pay-per-view because of Hogan's injury situation. Hogan's knee problems may well be as serious as he's letting on, but it's not stopping critics within TNA from saying, I told you so, regarding the decision to bank on Hogan and begin hyping him without contracts being signed. It's funny, like, um, this may be my own biases coming through here, but despite all this, I can't bring myself to, like, be, like, mad at TNA, you know? They took a big swing. They missed. Mm Mm-hmm. It's more of a, oh, you guys, than a, you, you fucked up here. I, I don't know why, I just, I can't bring myself to give them the, the, the slap on the wrist, you know? Because you can understand what they were going for, and they're in cahoots with a more natural heel that can take all the blame. Yeah, exactly. They had to give it a shot, you know, and it didn't work out, but I don't think they particularly lose much from it anyway, you know what I mean? Like, the changes they made weren't... Like, they turned AJ Face to where he probably should have been already. They turned Jeff Heel, which is annoying in for us to watch, but it's probably what he should be anyway. So it's like, I don't know. I, I don't think any of the changes were drastic enough to be like, haha, look at you guys, you changed everything for this. But I also... Yeah, I, I, I don't blame them for giving it a shot. This is a very important lesson about get the name on the contract before you start doing anything, though. Yeah. Which, again, is a lesson they don't learn this month because they begin hyping a big major announcement that'll change the face of wrestling and suddenly nothing happens. So They're so desperate for the headlines. Yeah, because they realise, especially, I think, in the last few months, they realise things aren't going so well. Well, as we'll see with some of the notes later on, too, is they they really feel like they need something to break here soon because they're losing so much money. And yeah, because Panda have like a deep war chest. It's not like Panda can't afford to lose the money, but it's just a question of whether Panda want to lose the money. So they they want to be like, look, we're getting Hulk Hogan. Look, we're getting TV. Look, we have this thing. It's the carrot to dangle in front of Panda to be like, well, keep on funding and supporting this project. Yeah, it's not so much can they afford to keep paying this. It's how long are they willing to do this and how long are they willing to keep going without any sort of visual of a payoff? 
Yeah, and this is over a year into Panda owning the company at this stage. Panda bought the company in like September. I think they closed the deal in October last year. So we're well into the reign of Panda as the the, the big bucks behind TNA at this stage. So it might be like them feeling the pressure and maybe Jared even feeling the pressure from someone like Russo being like, I need to achieve results. Otherwise, somebody will start turning to somebody else to achieve those results. Mm. And that's like the difference between something like an AEW where it's like, if Tony Khan wanted to, he could, like, pile all his money into it, you know? Like, his war chest is also for his investment of the thing he loves. Where it's like, Panda's like, this is an investment of a thing we're a fan of, but it's not our be-all, end-all here. We can cut ties if we need to. And I do think, like, Dixie is very supportive of TNA. It's not just a, a project she was assigned to because it happened to be bought by her dad's company. Like, mm. I, I do think she is invested in and believes in and wants to see TNA succeed, and that will be bared out through the entire history of TNA and through the next 13 years before she's no longer involved in TNA. But, but yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it's Bob Carter's money. It's not Dixie's. And if Bob is like, why are we spending 30 to 50 grand a week just to keep this thing afloat when there's no signs of life, no signs that it's advancing? Like, it's not his passion project. Yeah. Where he's like going, he's willing to chuck in a giant, like a Carrie Silken or a TK or someone who's just like, I'm gonna throw everything into this because it's the thing I like. It's an investment opportunity and something he hopes pays off, but like, I don't know if he's like, I'm gonna, I would be willing to put all of my money into this. As mentioned, losing 30 to 50 grand a week is, is pocket change. It's nothing to him, but he does eventually reach the stage where it's like, well, this is just the thing that's going nowhere. It's, it's a black hole of money. Why don't we just cut it off? Mm hmm. So there are many viewpoints on the Hulk Hogan situation among TNA wrestlers and officials. Most are skeptical of Hogan's intentions, rightfully so. What? But he's so genuine. He is always just, you know, doing what's good for the wrestling business and for the companies he works with, Liam. Yeah, I. if there's one thing I know about Hulk Hogan, and that is he is always willing to put others ahead of himself. A trustworthy individual who has the best interests of everyone he works with at heart. People believed he's using TNA. Others strongly defend Hogan as doing what is best for TNA in the long run. These people, I, I don't know who they are. Whoever PW Torture talking to is like, no, no, he's, he's Jimmy Hart. <laughs> it probably is Jimmy Hart. Like, there's a note that they're still, like, pursuing the venue. We'll talk about that in a second. But Jimmy Hart is still, like, chasing down the venue days before the, this is, like, announced as being off. So even, like, Jimmy Hart is is probably overly invested in this thing than... He probably should be, but also he's getting a role on television because of it, so he's probably quite happy. I was thinking about that with a couple of people on these shows, where it's like, it's just, it is consistent work for a lot of these people too, so they do have some sort of intrinsical investment there. Mm. Hogan saying his knee is not responding well to surgery is being seen by many as a lame excuse to delay his commitment to wrestle for TNA. This has become a fiasco for TNA, and watching them try to save face is going to be embarrassing, says one TNA wrestler skeptical of how this situation with Hogan is playing out. Hogan doesn't want to work a pay-per-view that's going to bomb, says one insider, until TNA has a national TV clearance or there is some indication it will do well. He will keep delaying his match against Jared. Oh no, at me. <laughs> it's upsetting, but like, I don't know, it feels like there was pivots that they could have made at a certain point. Which pivots? Well, the, the big one that we were talking about on the last episode was it felt like they could have gone to Sting at some point. You can't run as gigantic of a building, but you could have done the show still. It's just funny, it's kind of what they did. Like, they did bring Sting back, they did move Sting into a program with Jared. He had two matches with Jared, one last month, one that we'll talk about this month. But neither were, like, big, built-up, huge pay-per-view matches. They were all like, mm. Sting's gonna be here next week to wrestle Jared. Yeah, it's a weird choice. It feels like if you wanted to try and 
garner some more goodwill for it. You could have still ran a big show with Sting Jarrett as the headliner. Because the reason we also move into promoting Ultimate X2 here is because Ultimate X2 was also meant to take place on that show. So they were meant to build to that. So like they, they still do many of the things they were still planning to build to. Even Triple X against AMW was a match that was uh, tentatively planned for that show. And they do bring back Triple X and start building to the reformation of Triple X as well. What an admission of like a failure of a push that is, by the way. Yeah, it's like these guys didn't get over by themselves, probably due to no fault of their own, frankly, but let's put them back together as Triple X because that's when people liked them. And like so blatantly as well. Mm. So we'll talk about that when we get into the shows. Another situation that concerns Hogan is the location of the proposed TNA three-hour pay-per-view. He won't work at the asylum because it would appear to be too big a step down for him and make him appear to be washed up, which, you know, debatable. Jimmy Hart had negotiated to run the pay-per-view at Fort Campbell, Kentucky at an airplane hangar where bleachers and lightning would be brought in specifically for the event. Lightning? Yeah. They're bringing in, they're bringing in lightning for it. They will wait to hold the night on the instance of a thunderstorm? And yeah. then, then when lightning strikes, they'll put some of the, those spires that you can have lightning strike that attract lightning. And that's where they'll hold the pay-per-view. If you can get that visual, I'm sure that would rock. I imagine it would be a little dangerous, but it's probably worth it. Yeah, Hogan does the pose, lightning goes off in the background, Mm. Sting comes out, that's good stuff. That way the crowd could be small, but it wouldn't work against Hogan because the photo op of working in front of the US soldiers at a military base would be tremendous for him. After believing the deal was nearly done, TNA officials were told in recent days that Fort Campbell apparently needs the hangar to be reserved for military purposes through February. (laughs) Is there any sort of, like, big military event happening at the same time? No, there's no, like, major military happenings in the month of December 2003. It's it's not like Saddam Hussein was just captured. A thing that weirdly, like, factors into TNA television. Uh-huh. Both because it's the payoff of Jim Duggan's promo. Yes. And there are people in the crowd with signs about Saddam being captured. Yeah, and we, and we get, we do get a, we go full, like, military... Uh, salute the troops on one of these episodes as well. Yeah, on the last show of the month, Don West and Mike introduced soldiers from the 101st Airborne in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the same Air Force base they were hoping to run. Saddam Hussein was just captured a few days before on December 13th. By that team, actually. And then they came straight to the <laughs> asylum to watch a show. That was their reward. It's like, thank you for taking down Saddam Hussein. Now let us chant USA in front of you. At a TNA wrestling event. Alright guys, thanks. You've done it. You've done a, a tremendous service to the country. Here's some tickets to Sting versus Jarrett. We picked him up at the gas station. <laughs> hey, this has this big gathering cage match made event. You should be excited. Yeah. John West led a USA chant and then turned to them and it was like, thanks for getting Saddam. Yeah, I told you. It was, it was those guys. It was surely. But the, that building being pulled created another reason for TNA to delay the pay-per-view since TNA officials realized there is no way to fill a decent-sized arena in any market at this point. Which is weird. Like, Hulk Hogan is a huge name and a major attraction. I think Hulk Hogan sells 2,000 tickets. Or 3,000 tickets. You know, enough to look good, you know? Mm. Enough to, you know, still be outdrawn by stardom in 2022. But, you know, pretty good. Pretty good, you know, little crowd as well. Hulk Hogan could probably earn himself the role of second or third biggest company in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan would be the second biggest company in Japan. Yeah. I love the second company in Japan thing. It's mm. so funny to me. Everyone arguing over who's runner-up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I like how that people... Like, uh, this is not the podcast for this, but there's definitely an interesting amount of, like, 
my team, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, from, like, Noah, DDT, Stardom, and D- Dragon Gate. Like, all four of them have the, like, I'm the winning team, guys. <laughs> I've never felt, that like, that passionately about a company to be like, this is mine. Mm. <laughs> I must ride or die with them. See, I felt, I've always felt that way about TNA, but also, I'm always like, well, the shit things about TNA are shit, and for a very good reason, you know? Yeah. Like, exactly, whenever I've had, like, a company that I've been really into, whether it be New Japan or AEW, I've always been able to acknowledge the things that I don't think are great about it, too. Mm. But I guess, like, you know, when it's such, like, a subject, not a subject, if there's, like, actual factual evidence to support their claims, but when there's, it's so close, I guess that's when, like, a bit of your protectiveness can come out. Yeah, because you, you take an attack on the thing you like as an attack on you a little bit, and you have to defend it. Yeah, I've, I think everyone's been in that position before. Never. I, ab- I exist in a sole position of objectivity. We're doing a podcast, which is basically you doing that. <laughs> hey, never mind. I'm just simply correcting the record and telling people what things they should be mad about and they are allowed to be mad about, and then the others which are not. Within a very specific set of parameters. Jerry Jarrett flew to Tampa for a meeting with Hogan. Face-to-face, Hogan told Jarrett he wouldn't be able to make the February date, but he, that he was still with them. When asked about WrestleMania 20, Hogan portrayed it as he and Vince McMahon had a different vision of the business, and both agreed they couldn't work together, des- describing his relationship with McMahon to a married couple uh, who had been divorced three times. Which is basically, Vince said no, and Hogan's like, oh, brother, we had different visions of the business. <laughs> I don't think they were debating stylistic choices about how pro wrestling should be <laughs> displayed you know mm. or marketed it wasn't uh tanahashi and omega at wrestle kingdom <laughs> i believe the stylistic choice here was can i get booked no <laughs> yeah but like i honestly the divorce couple is a pretty apt description of the two because they know they need each other but there's times where they don't want each other but then like it's a divorce couple then like where one of them got remarried and became way more successful <laughs> mm. wait which is which one got remarried Oh, Vince is in a way better position than Hulk Hogan is in 2022. <laughs> he got he got remarried to Nick Khan. Like, H- Hogan got remarried and had massive success that nearly put Vince out of business too, to be fair to him. Sure. Yeah, but that was one of his earlier marriages who he also got divorced from, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, he didn't get divorced from Vince bought, bought it out. There's, uh... <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot going on. They left the meeting with the idea that they would work together for a major pay-per-view show in May, or more likely June, which would be billed as the company's second anniversary show. Hmm. That won't happen. One source that TNA believes the Jarrett's understand they are being played by Hogan to a certain degree, but are using that to their advantage at this point to keep TNA President Dixie Carter excited about the potential of a Hogan appearance. They all know what's going on. Hmm. Because, like, Jerry Jarrett's been in the wrestling business a very long time, he spent a very, very, very long time dealing with Cardis. Garrett, what is the last name of the two people involved here? Jarrett. Yeah, okay, end of conversation. <laughs> they are well aware of Carnies themselves. Yeah, there's a reason we say Jeff Jarrett never loses, you know? <laughs> and Jarrett dealt extensively with Hogan and WCW, so like he's well aware of how Hogan operates. It's not like he's like, oh, I've been totally blindsided by this. Yeah, Jeff's an S-tier Carney. As you mentioned, there's just an extent of it's worth going for, so why not? And as you also mentioned in the last episode, it's not our money, so why not? Yeah, it's worth going for. We can build up some buzz on the TV. We can keep people happy, and it's not our money, so we might as well go for it at this point. We need a big break, and we need we should take all of the shots, even if like you know you shoot a hundred shots, one goes in. 
The theory is Panda will keep funding TNA as long as there is hope that Hogan will turn things around. Right now, industry sources peg TNA's losses, weekly losses around 30000 per week. Panda Energy had deep pockets, but they won't be sending good money after bad if there isn't hope, which is what we talked about earlier. Yeah. And also, you know, the higher a company is, the more they're going to be willing to invest as well. Mm. Like, if TNA does really well, they're going to be like, we'll send you more than what you need because you're flourishing and it'll help you build your next level. If you're doing badly, they're like, we'll give you what we're willing to give you. <laughs> so just about stay open. One of Vince Russo's most passionate conversations with Dixie Carter right before he was ousted from the booking position in favour of Dutch Mantel, which was done in order to please Hulk Hogan, who didn't want to work with Russo, was that she was being worked by Hulk Hogan. He predicted every move so far Hogan has made, and he told her that Hogan is going to do what's best for Hogan at any given time, without regard for what he said he would do in the past. My funny, The funny part of this is Vince Russo is saying this probably solely to do what's best for Vince Russo and try and stop himself from being ousted by Hulk Hogan. Yeah, but he's also right. <laughs> it's just a bunch of carnies trying to out-carny each other. Yeah, and the problem here is, like, while Jeff and Hogan are S-tier carnies, Vince is only an A Tiagani, mm. so he's a, a slight step behind. Because it, it is funny to be like, no, for the good of TNA, we shouldn't bring them in. Not for the good of the fact that if we bring him in, I'll be removed from my position writing the show. But that's the thing, like, Vince is a, is a people person. He can make you feel like you're on top of the world. We'll talk about that more in a second. Which is how he's gotten in with Dixie so well from, like, the beginning. He knows who's the, who, who are the power players, and he knows how to suck up to them. Yeah, he knows how to butter someone's bread. A lot of Hogan's focus has now shifted away from himself and his wrestling career and toward his 15-year-old daughter, Brooke, and her singing career. I thought, like, that was all subtextual stuff. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Lou Pearlman, who was the force behind the creation of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, is really behind Brooke and sees a tremendous marketing opportunity <laughs> for her. She would be marketed as Brooke Hogan, not her real name, Brooke Bollea, because they do plan to publicize and take advantage of the publicity associated with being the daughter of Hulk Hogan. This is before Brookamania, this is before Hogan Knows Best, that wasn't until, I think, mid-2005, so you can see the, the seeds being laid for trying to make Brooke Hogan a thing all the way back here in November, December 2003. Was Brooke Hogan ever a thing? She, kind of... Yeah, she was, a, she was a little before my time in the zeitgeist, so... Like, Hogan Knows Best wasn't a huge deal, but it was a reality show on TV, you know? It did well. I have the first season on DVD somewhere around here. I've never seen it, but I have it. I think it ran, like, three seasons. I've probably watched most of those episodes because they were on TV at the time, so I've probably seen them. Oh, are you ready for that Patreon series? <laughs> the Hogan Knows Best watch-along? <laughs> yeah. Two seasons, 43 episodes... I want to say it aired on MTV, but it aired on VH1. There you go. It's not bad. And also the spin-off Brooke Knows Best, which I've seen none of. I'm aware of Brooke Knows Best. That also got two seasons. Wow. God, anyone can get a reality show. That's the classic like Disney Channel format, isn't it? It's like Hogan Knows Best, and then the small character spins off into their own show. Brooke Knows Best. Now we have Sam and Cat. <laughs> There's apparently four seasons. Why does it say two seasons at the top and four seasons at the bottom? Do they count the first two seasons of Hogan Knows Best as part of the run? Because there's a, a seven-episode season, seven episode season, 13-episode season, 12-episode season, and 10-episode season, apparently. Wow. Airing basically six months apart or three months apart, depending. God. I'm sure the everyone, all the fans were devastated when it was cancelled. I love the cast for the show because it's Terry, Hulk Hogan, Linda Hogan, Brooke Hogan, Nick Hogan, Brian Nobbs. <laughs> Does Bubba? Does Bubba make an appearance? Uh, probably. I don't know. Hmm. Shorty shows up and gets punched in the face by Mick Cavoli. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's in the show. Mm. Well, yeah, that's enough on Hogan, those best. That's honestly enough on Hogan in general. Yeah, and we'll never have to talk about him ever again. At least not for a while in a major way. Did Brooke Hogan release music? Yeah, she was a musician. Really? That was the whole thing. She wasn't a reality show star or an actress. She was going to be a musician. Wait a minute. As I go to, as I run to Spotify. How did you not know that she was like, that the idea was she's going to be oh, a music I'm star? I'm sorry. I don't keep up with Brooke Hogan. Yeah, you should. I know that she was like going to marry Bully Ray. Yeah, she's a, she'll be a very important part of TNA television when we get to it in like nine years. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a few albums. Yeah, she's an actual musical artist. I've never listened to a single Brooke Hogan song, but... Okay, she has two albums. 2006's Undiscovered. Still remains Undiscovered, some would say. By 2009's The Redemption. It's because Undiscovered was so bad. She released singles in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Just keeping that music career ticking over. Um, would you like... Here's a fun game, Garrett. Mm. I'm going to give you an over or an under. Mm-hmm. Of monthly listens on Spotify for Brooke Hogan. Oh, God. So her her overall number for... Yes. All of her songs combined. No, no, per month. In 2022 of March, how many times does Brooke Hogan get listened to? I'm gonna go... I'm gonna... No, 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 I'll give you a number. You tell me over or under. Okay. Mm-hmm. 35,000. Oh, God. You picked up a very... Like, my guess there was going to be 75,000. So I guess I'll go over? It is over. Oh, well, good for her. 53,000. That is better than this podcast does, but only by a little. Hmm. That, that, that is like only a couple more than the Patreons we have. Mm. I think you should go to tnachat.com and subscribe to our Patreon on April 1st so that you don't get charged twice. And... Make sure we have more patrons than Brooke Hogan has Spotify listeners. Yeah, we need more monthly listeners than Brooke Hogan. At the very least, go to Spotify, give us a five-star review, which we actually have a decent number of five-star reviews. We had like 14 of them last I checked on Spotify. Well, I have never seen any of our reviews. It just gives us a star rating. So we're, we're doing well. People love us. Can I review? Uh, yes, you should. Oh, I'm going to do it right now. To put us over. I just rated it... We have a 4.8, Garrett. <laughs> yeah, we have 13 reviews and we have a 4.8 rating, which is nearly all five stars. If you're that person who didn't rate five stars, you're a real son of a bitch. <laughs> Listen, four stars is a good rating. Yeah, um, <laughs> I need to know why. It would be five in the Tokyo Dome. It was because of that bit you did about not liking the War Games match. It got to drag down to four. <laughs> Damn. We have now hit 4.9. Oh, well done. Thank you. Watch it go down to like 4.5 after everyone goes and does it now. How dare you tell us to go review on Spotify to beat Brooke Hogan. Oh, you want me to review? I'll review. So yes, that is all of the Hulk Hogan drama, the the entire Hulk Hogan saga. I'll put all the clips together and put them on YouTube as like the full Hulk Hogan saga. But yeah, Hulk Hogan's not coming to TNA. Yet. Yet, indeed. That ominous yet. Go listen to Monday War Games. Yeah, that's on Patreon. You can already we we covered the entire first few months, the first few months of the Monday Night Wars, head to head with Raw and TNA. So that's there. TNAchat.com. The only time I will ever consent to reviewing WWE. <laughs> Yet. Oh no. TNA officials are working on getting clearance on WGN an early Saturday morning time slot that would cost them fifty grand a week. That would require an increase in weekly buys for their $10 pay-per-views of 6000 each week to justify the expense since TNA sees only about $5 per, per order. 
for promotion drawing between 8,000 and 20,000 buys per week over the last year. That's a huge expectation. The early Saturday morning time slot is aimed at kids. Not exactly the demographic TNA is chasing at this point with their product content. <laughs> so TNA are trying to get TV. This is a thing we'll talk about more and more into 2004. But And for the rest of its run. That's true. Jeff Jarrett comes out on TV on the first show of this month promising a game-changing announcement, Liam. An industry-changing announcement that will change the face of TNA forever. Change the face of not only TNA, in fact, he says. Change the face of the entire wrestling business. And it was this Saturday morning paid TV deal with the WGN. <laughs> TNA getting TV is legitimately an industry-changing event. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this deal... Is that deal. <laughs> Paying for Saturday morning clearance. Yeah. But um, again, it's not their money. <laughs> if they can get Panda to flip the bill on this, why not? Like, getting TV is what you, is what you need. So if the WGNT deal is finalized, and internally it has been talked about as if it's just about a done deal, TNA would be looking at producing an upgraded version of Explosion for WGN. It would be similar to the current format, but they would add a main event caliber match each week. There are also plans to shake up the talent situation with the idea that once they get on WGN, they will be starting from scratch with a new audience. There was talk of creating a strong babyface as the focal point of the promotion with Hogan not being <laughs> Wow, what a, what a unique idea. To, to take a guy and try and make him a star for your company? <laughs> I feel like companies are much stronger when you don't know who is a babyface or a heel the entire time. Mm. The three choices seem to be Raven, Chris Harris, and AJ Styles. These are all fine suggestions. Especially given Raven was the top babyface in this company getting like legitimate top babyface reactions and he kept on beating him until he didn't. Yeah, like right, legitimately all these, these are three. Here's a great idea, Garrett. Mm-hmm. Now, just listen to me on this one. Right. What if we push all three of them as babyface stars? Well, that's pushing the boat out too far, honestly. I'm sorry. It could, it could never work to have more than one focus of your company. Yeah, in fact, you should have none. Yeah, that, uh, as we've learned, so it's, what, it's what led to some of the best months in, in company history so far. You should just have Jeff Jarrett come out every week and just be the entire show. It's just the Jeff Jarrett show and everyone has to declare loyalty to him and there's no baby faces who can get one up on him and it's just Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. Mm. And the only baby face who can get one up on him is gone. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. If they were getting TV, I'm surprised they didn't make a bigger play for Sting. Especially given, like, this is Sting's final appearance. This is the last month Sting appears in TNA until... Ever. January 2006. So, not only, like, did they have Sting come in, they had him beat Jared to seemingly set up a title match that never happens until frickin' Hard Justice 06. I'm so ready for, like, actual pay-per-views, by the way. A little off topic, but you, you hit me with the Hard Justice... Just, you hit, well, sorry, Justice just then was apparently too much of a tongue twister for me. You hit me with the Hard Justice line just then, and it's really reminded me of how much I love the TNA pay-per-view names. Yeah, we're not that far away from them. We're ten months, <laughs> but... It feels like everything that you've been promising me about TNA is like, oh, it's just 10 months away. Just 10 months. <laughs> well, we'll have 2004, which is... 2004 is a bit of a wacky year, because it is, like, they're just swinging. I don't mind wacky. I, I, I will always take wacky over boring. Because most of 2004, they don't really know what they are anymore. They did, they have no idea what they're trying to be or supposed to be. So they're just, they're just kind of swinging. Yeah, I feel like that's... Not knowing what they are is a lot of the TNA run. Or at the very least, having two conflicting visions of what they should be. Yeah. Or trying to be something else. Mm. Or, or being ashamed of the thing that you are. Which is like, 
why are this why are so many like major league wrestling companies like ashamed to be what they are it's so i was literally thinking about this the other day that that there is i think no industry that has a greater shame of the genre of entertainment that they put out than pro wrestling does that you see yeah. all these companies try to run away from being pro wrestling instead of embracing being pro wrestling because it's a really cool genre of entertainment when like you know i hate to be the aw fan podcast oh the real home of professional wrestling is it liam yeah i've just you know that, that's what's so pleasant about it it's like hey we like the thing we are <laughs> yeah and a- every good period of tna it's just like we're not trying to do attitude era shite we're not trying to be sports entertainment we're not trying to chase WWE. we're not trying to be WWE as it's happening <laughs> yeah we're just being a wrestling show and then they're good yeah Jerry Tweet, age 36, known as The Wall in WCW and Malice in NWA TNA, died in Japan this past weekend. He died on December 6th. He wrestled under the name uh, Gigantes on Friday for night for All Japan, then was found dead in his hotel room Saturday afternoon just before he was scheduled to return to the US. Laparka and Nosawa had lunch with him earlier in the day. Laparka went to his hotel room to say goodbye to him before he left Japan for Mexico and found him dead. His body was taken to a local hospital where he is officially pronounced dead. He was 36. The preliminary cause of death ruling is acute cardiac arrest. His body is being transported from Japan to the United States. In his final match, he teamed with Bull Buchanan and Justin Credible against Tomoaki Hanma and Kazushi Miyamoto and Nobutaka Ariawa. Ariawa. Ariya? Ariya. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the wall passed away. Malice passed away. Yeah, it's a sad one. Someone that was such a, a real highlight of the first year of NWA TNA. Yeah, and one of the, the more pushed acts. He, of course, he main evented the first show. Him against Ken Shamrock was the end of that gauntlet match where Ken Shamrock beat Malice to become the first NWA champion of the TNA era. So he was a really like important, integral part of early TNA. The wall is one of the funnier memes in the history of pro wrestling. The Hulk Hogan, that's the wall, brother, pointing at the wall on a building. Frickin' two miles across the road a very good moment in wrestling history so yeah and he was a good wrestler he was a good big man yeah obviously his choke slam that blew up <laughs> the building yes the, that had the giant gunshot noise when he choke slammed i think it was mark briscoe yeah yeah um malice has been such a, a fun run in this career and obviously 36 is insanely young mm-hmm yeah, upsetting. There was a, a opening card dedicated to Malice on, I think it was the second show of the month, December 10th. It would have been, because that would have been when they found out he passed away. So that show was dedicated to Malice. Dutch Rantel told Slash that he needs to change his look because they were, quote, too many vampires in DNA. First of all, fuck you. There is never too many vampires. You're a big fan of vampires? Yeah, vampires rule. Team vampires when you watch Twilight? I, no, I watched Twilight last year. <laughs> I've never actually seen the Twilight movies. I never even watched them out of intrigue. Uh, they're bad. Well, a good, bad, or bad, bad? Mostly bad, bad, Aww. with a couple of good, bad moments. I like the third one, mm. which is bad, bad, that, like, has the most good, bad vibes. <laughs> they do- <laughs> I mean, yeah, do you know the twist of the third Twilight movie, Garrett? <laughs> I've heard it before, I think, but I don't care. Well, spoilers for the third Twilight. Well, the third Twilight Part 2? I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's four Twilights? The thing where they, they do this gigantic, bloody, gory battle and it kind of rules, and then they go, ha, it was all in their head the whole time. I actually thought that twist ruled. <laughs> I was like, that, cause, and I didn't know it. <laughs> I watched it and like, blind. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's actually the best thing they've ever done. Why? It was just a cool, it was a good twist that I had never, I didn't expect it at all. So it was pulled off really well. It was all a dream. And it was done in a way that wasn't like 
didn't feel bullshitty. Like it was a, an established thing from a character that could do this the whole time. Have, has a wrestling company ever done it's all a dream? Did Chikara do that? I'm sure Chikara did it at some point. Was this like some Dungeon of Doom skit? <laughs> They're just like, it never happened. So hmm. <laughs> let's retcon it. This stuff is so bad we have to go back to a previous state. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to find out if the It's All a Dream uh, trope ever made it. Apparently Mantel felt that the New Church, Chris Daniels, Julio Daenerys, CM Punk, and Raven looked too similar. No word on exactly when Slash or the rest of the New Church will return, but nothing is scheduled for this month. Surely, of all those people, you should be like, well, maybe Daniels should be less, like, like preachy churchy, or the gathering should be less, like, candle boys. Surely it's the New Church who are the ones who are allowed to be, like, spooky and sinister. And well, to be fair, the new church are the most lost on the card at this point. Mm. But like, yeah, no, I feel like, I don't know, Punk has a, Punk and Daniels don't look that much like it. <laughs> I, I kind of get what they're going for like, when you see them sitting in like rooms with candle lit being all like Okay, spooky. well then stop shooting that exact <laughs> fucking promo every time. That's what I mean. Like, just make Daniels not the god weirdo. The, like, don't lean into the fallen angel bit so hard. Just make the gathering be like a cult as opposed to like sinister demon men. Just put Daniels in the new church where he should have always been. <laughs> and where they even thought about him putting him when we mentioned that way, way back. Yeah, that made so much sense. I can't believe they never did that. Mm. But I think Punk, Julio, and Raven are different enough. Plus, they just fused with them. I think I don't think people are going to be confused. But is this coming off of the we might get TV and have a new audience thing? And you don't want spooks? Oh, maybe we don't want so many spooky guys that everyone thinks they're in the same group or something. I don't know. And, like, the sad thing is, this is not the last we'll see of Slash. There's a little more we'll see of Slash in 2004, but it's basically the last we'll see of Slash. A guy who was really good in TNA and probably deserved more. Yeah, Slash rocked. And he gave a lot for this company, too. Yeah, he bled every week! I mean, everyone bleeds every week, but he bled extra hard every week. ECMO Fatu just finished up his first tour with All Japan over the weekend. Working in Japan probably won't help his standing in TNA since it's fairly well known the company doesn't want to invest in wrestlers who work frequent tours. ECMO was not seen this month. I don't think he's seen again until a random Alex Shelley match in, I think, August 2004. The, the Liam Offer match. Yes, ECMO Umaga against Alex Shelley. It doesn't get much more me than that. Interesting. We also didn't see Siaki this month, so ECMO, with, like, working All Japan, took Siaki off the show, too. To be fair, not... A missed act. <laughs> yeah, Trinity wasn't there either, though. Man, Trinity rocks. But yeah, I, 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 I'm not exactly pissed off that I didn't have to watch ECMO and Siaki tag matches this month. Mm. A story that hasn't been detailed yet concerning Jerry Lynn. He showed up in Nashville before a pay-per-view since his last in-ring appearance and loudly complained to everybody about how unfairly he felt he was being treated. He had agreed to virtually everything asked of him, he had, having moved to Nashville based on one pay scale and then agreeing to take a 40% pay cut, only to have management not get back to him and get a deal ironed out. He said he felt he was lied to, that that negotiating tactic, if that's what it was, was seen as publicly showing up management and didn't help him with his cause. Pay my man, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm Team Jerry Lynn here. Tell him to get fucked if they're fucking you around. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're willing to accept that you probably won't get your the deal you want by mm. doing this <laughs> like sure burn it down especially in wrestling in an industry where traditionally the power has so been heavily weighed in fate of management and companies instead of wrestlers yeah take every ounce of it back that you can publicly show them up all you want as long as you're willing to accept that you probably won't get bookings mm. even though he does he does come back so he jerry lynn won jerry lynn wins maybe maybe i should consider bumping him up the, the carny tier list yeah he just buries people that he gets what he wants that rules speaking of 
Many wrestlers miss Vince Russo because he had a knack for making everyone from the top of the from the top to the bottom of the card feel like a million bucks. Even those who think he was a fatally flawed booker agree that he was better for morale than the current booking structure. Jarrett and Mantel have a policy of making wrestlers feel totally expendable as a way to get their asking price down. The belief seems to be that only a few wrestlers currently being used actually make a difference in the buy rates, and with a tight budget and weekly losses of ten thousand dollars. That leaves everyone else without bargaining power. Sure. Here's the thing. If you're the booker and you believe only a few wrestlers make a difference to buy rates, that's your fault. You know You know who has the power to change that? You know who has the power to turn Chris Saban into somebody who could potentially make a difference for buy rates or has the power to turn AJ Styles or D'Lo Brown or America's Most Wanted or all these... Listen, and just a crazy idea here. A CM Punk. Just get... You got a bunch of guys here that you could give a shot to. Now, Julio Tenero is the real star of the gathering. Honestly, I'd try both at this point. Why not? This is the month they do turn them, so they're, they're doing what you want. Yeah, we'll see how it works out. Like, if only a few people are contributing to buy rates... Maybe you should try and make the people you have bigger stars, huh? Huh? Yeah. Ugh. I feel like that was kind of like always a recurring issue where it's like, instead of trying to make our guys the draw, it was, let's look for the next draw we can bring in mm-hmm. and see what happens. And it's like, no, just try the guys that you have. <laughs> put, put effort and, and power and money behind them. And then what will actually happen is you'll get cases like Christian being like, I want to go over there and work with AJ and work with Joe and work with all these young, exciting, fresh wrestlers instead of being like, I'm going to get Vader to come in to pop a buy rate and he won't put anybody over and it'll be for like the net negative of the company, even if he does do a good number on one night. Mm. And like, I feel like we have this discussion all the time now where it's like, just getting the WWE guys, but it's like... There's a difference between getting to re guys just because you need, you're desperate for anything and picking and choosing legitimate talent that will make a difference. <laughs> DNA having Orlando Jordan, like big league Christopher Daniels before Christopher Daniels goes on to lose the Val Venus is what drove fans away from TNA. Yeah, it's like Jeff Hardy, obvious. Kurt Angle, obvious. The, Team 3D, <laughs> obvious. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a level of like... And like, even if they're young enough and they uh, they weren't stars, that's what you can give them a shot too. Because why not? But it's when you you're desperate and you're like, I need mid Carter three B from SmackDown. It's like let's get the Bashams on the show. It's like why? Who knows? And then they can beat AJ on TV in eight <laughs> minutes. Oh, Shannon Moore show up and start punking out AJ because why not? Yeah, that's when it's. I mean, this is you know, no, this is territory we will cover consistently. I'm sure. One story making the rounds is that Vince Russo has told Panda officials that he will not return to the creative process as long as Jeff Jarrett is involved. Russo has been telling people <laughs> that Jarrett never bothered to call him when he made the decision to remove him from the creative team to pave the way for Hulk Hogan coming in. Russo claims that he was given the news by Jerry Jarrett and that Jeff never returned his calls when he attempted to talk to him about the situation. Russo is still on the company payroll and is said to be very frustrated with his latest fall from power. How do you feel about this? The shows are worse without him, but also when he gets mm. full power, the shows are quite bad. So, I don't know. But they're still better? <laughs> well, they become funny bad instead of boring bad, which I'll always take funny bad over boring bad. Boring is, like, the worst thing entertainment can be. I will take bad over boring. Yeah, because, like, the Russo shows are at least silly, and you can laugh at them, as opposed to some of the shows... Uh, not, really, not really this month. I think this month is fine. It was the two months before that were 
particularly like lifeless. There is some stuff this month that like is pretty good, and at least there's like exciting directions they're moving in, as opposed to November and October, which were. I think pretty just like dire months across the board where nothing was happening and nobody was over. I I will agree that this is a better month of the last couple of months. I'm still not high on the company at this point. Yeah, no one is. <laughs> not not even TNA. It's not an an enjoyable experience to watch these shows, which like it has been. I feel like there's a of a misconception that, like, this is what it was like all the time at this point. Despite discontent with the product lately, Dixie Carter is sticking by Jeff Jarrett as the head of creative. Jeff Jarrett has only minority ownership in the company. Different percentage figures have been circulated over the last year, but Carter would apparently have the power to oust him as head of creative. However, she promised Jarrett that she would stick with him no matter what, through thick and thin, until 2009. Uh, says one wrestler, though, <laughs> I don't know any talent that produces themselves better than somebody else could produce them. There's no way not to lose perspective when you book yourself. Not wrong. Dutch Martell is more vulnerable than Jarrett. Dutch's situation is giving the boss what he what he wants, says one TNA wrestler who's familiar with Dutch's booking over the years. Says another, Dutch is obviously focused primarily on pleasing Jeff Jarrett since the majority of his booking ideas are centered around getting Jarrett over. Everything else has been an afterthought and nobody is happy about it. He's the Bruce Pritchard. Like, you do see it on these shows that they, they have increasingly become the Jeff Jarrett show. Like, these shows are just all about Jeff and Jeff creating a stable. Because we, for the first time, well, not really the first time, it was Sex was the first one. Where that was the first, like, all-encompassing angle where all the angles in the show were secretly about sex. <laughs> Sentences. <laughs> Whereas, like, November... And December, increasingly, especially in December, all of these shows are about Jeff Jarrett. All of these shows are about Jeff Jarrett's group that he's forming and is trying trying to get power in TNA and his feud with Eric Watts. So, yeah, it really is the Jeff Jarrett show these days. Yeah, we're living on planet Jarrett, baby. Not yet, but yes. <laughs> in spirit. I can't blame Dutch. <laughs> this is what he was brought in to do, basically. Mm. At least if it... Yeah, well, I mean, I can, yeah, I can blame him for putting on a show that I don't enjoy watching, but as far as, like, he's doing what he is told to do. He is making the hard owner of the company seem like a big star. <laughs> but he's not even doing that, though. Like, D- Jarrett doesn't seem like a big star. It's just that he's all no. over the show. He's annoying. And not the good kind of annoying. He's the, I want to skip your segments kind of annoying. Do you think that is more on Jarrett's ability to deliver in these segments than it is... The actual segments themselves, like if it was a better performer being put in these situations, it would work. Like, I'm not a fan of all-encompassing angles, just as a general rule. Angles that, like, just pervade every element of the show, because then you're all or nothing. If if the angle the is bad, the show is bad. So you can't yeah. have, like, a little pocket of the show that's good, because it has to be about this big, all-encompassing angle. So I, I as a general rule, I don't like what they're doing at the moment. I don't like the, the periods of TNA history where it's just like, and now everything on the show is about Immortal. And it's Immortal all through the show, and you can't avoid Immortal. So even if there's someone or something you like on the show, that's also about Immortal, so it sucks. So I, I don't like that as a general concept. I think Jeff is a good performer. I think he's a good wrestler, and he's a good heel. So mm-hmm. now that he's being booked as the top heel where literally everything's about him and he's just unbearable, I think it's just overexposure and bad writing. I agree. I agree also because we've seen that he can work as well. Mm. Like not like in a in the ring sense, in like being a top heel can work as well because we've had it before and it felt better. 
Yeah, because his first one was as a heel a year ago, and that was fine. And then even, like, the little babyface run he had as champion, I thought was okay. He was pretty good. Yeah. There was, like, rough patches with the, the disco stuff. But for the most part, I think I thought he was a good babyface champion. And now that he's just the just overbearing, all-over-the-show top heel, I just, I'm already sick of him now, and I know we're getting this for another three years, so... <laughs> <laughs> An action figure company was backstage scanning the wrestlers for an upcoming line of dolls that will be released about eight months from now. I wonder, was this the Marvel toys? Dolls. Dolls. That's from PW Torch, using the word dolls. Dolls. Liam's like, no, they're my action figures. They're not dolls. But the first the, the first sentence, you say, an action figure company. Mm. <laughs> Fucking dolls. Um, yeah, I have some... Um, yeah, I don't... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I like those Marvel toys. I had some of them. There were some cool ones. Um, the Ron Killings ones are great. Yeah, I had the AJ with the red gear. Yeah, there's some cool ones. The word backstage is that Rockstar Games, the makers of the popular <laughs> Grand Theft Auto series of video games, is the leading candidate to produce the TNA games. Talent has been told that they will need to sign releases before the deal can be finalized. The word in some circles is that Rockstar Games has offered a huge budget for the game with $7 million directed at advertising the game. There's a good chance that some of the advertising money will be spent on WGN, which may have helped TNA to secure a better deal with the network. Rockstar Games, Liam. So this isn't true at all, right? I don't know, like... In the build-up to Midway getting the deal to make the TNA game, there was, like, multiple reports that Rockstar and EA were also in talks with TNA. And I don't know how far that would have gotten. I don't know what a Rockstar wrestling game looks like. six years later, though? (laughs) Well, the deal is signed in 05, I think. The game isn't released till 08. So, I can't believe this. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see what Rockstar was making in 2003. They were making San Andreas. (laughs) They were making Max Payne. Yeah, the, like Vice City came out in what, 02? And then San Andreas was 04. So they were deep into making San Andreas at this stage. Vice City was 03. 03 and then 05, yeah. There you go. Yeah, they were they were in the middle of Vice City. I'm oh, sorry, late 02 for Vice City. Uh, the PC port was 03. Ah, see, don't you question me, because I knew it was a year between 03 and Vice City and then two years between Vice City and San Andreas. They were getting ready for the big Max Payne 2 release. Yeah, like maybe they were like the original concept for Bully. I've never played Bully, but <laughs> the original Bully's concept for, for Bully was that it was going to be set in a wrestling universe instead of a, a preppy high school. So they were like, maybe we'll get a wrestling license for it. So do you think like it was not going to be TNA the game, but it was going to be TNA in a game? Yeah, like I, I, not necessarily a wrestling game featuring TNA, but a game that featured TNA. I'm looking at what else came out in, like... So, like, if they had a sign in 03, it would have probably came out in, like, 05, 06, if they were... So, yeah, you're looking at, like, Bully... Rockstar Table Tennis. <laughs> Midnight Club Los Angeles. But, like, to be fair to, to Rockstar, that was an era where they did make more different and varied games. They weren't just the Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead studio. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was Bully Manhunt <laughs> and Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, and Max Payne and Rockstar Table Tennis. That was 03. I'm going from, like, release times. They made a table tennis game for Wii. <laughs> yeah. That's not a thing they do anymore. I'm looking at what they do right now. I mean, L.A. Noir. Yeah, like, they made a bunch of different kind of games. <laughs> I'm looking I'm, I'm looking at it now. It's really great. Because people just think of them as the GTA and Red Dead people. And, that, of course, that's what they are now. But they used to make much more varied and interesting games. So maybe they were like, let's do wrestling. You want to do wrestling? I can see that group being into it. Yeah. When are we getting L.A. Noir 2, Garrett? 
I don't know. When are we getting all those Rockstar games? I want Eli Noir too badly. I want more. We've been living, like dining on that doubt meme for decades now. Yeah, we're, we're desperate. Well, Grand Theft Auto is the next thing, and then we'll probably be Red Dead 3, and then Grand Theft Auto, and then Red Dead, and then Grand Theft Auto, and then Red Dead. Oh, they only published Eli Noir, they didn't develop it. Team Bondi was an Australian team. Bondi. I assume, were they a subsidiary or did they? No, I think they're independent. What is Team Bondi doing now? <laughs> they have not made another game. Founded 2003, defunct in 2011. Well, clearly they just shipped LA Noir and were like, we're done. <laughs> 35 employees. Controversies. Let's have a look at some controversies. <laughs> in early June 2011, former Team Bondi staff launched LA Noir Credits, a website dedicated to displaying over 130 credits of LA Noir developers that had been listed incorrectly or were left out completely in the game and its man- manual. Nice. Most of these employees were people who left the studio or were laid off during the game's development. The same month, following initial statements made to the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, Andrew McMillan published an article on IGN's Australian outfit titled, Why Did L.A. Noir Take Seven Years to Make? To which he quoted, 11 anonymous former Team Bondi personnel on the studio's managerial style, the staff's turnover rates, and the working hours and conditions. Seems to be a constant theme with Rockstar. Not just Rockstar, video games. Isn't it nice how video games never change? And there's just constant (laughs) stories of bad management styles, egos, and freaking horrible working hours. That's fun. That's nice. And also, you know, rampant sexual abuse. It's a good industry. (laughs) Yeah. Successes and the... And Whore of the Orient? That's a statement right there. Whore of the Orient was said to be a spiritual successor to Eli Noir. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Good on them for making a game with a title like that. <laughs> Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment was named to have signed a publishing deal. That's Rockstar Games potentially negotiating with TNA. Potentially. Maybe. Or they made it up. Who knows? I don't know if I believe it, but maybe. We did have uh, JB burying the games company a while back, so... That was the other. That was we we issued an attraction. We're attraction about that, Liam. <laughs> I'm gonna start the the rumor that Jeremy Borash ruined this rock star <laughs> contract by burying them on the website. Speaking of Jeremy Borash on the website, Jeremy Borash wrote in his Borash report last week a few tidbits about wrestlers' strange quirks. He says the first thing Jeff Jarrett does in the hotel room is rip off the comforters since those are rarely washed, unlike sheets which are washed between guests. Conan immediately takes off all lampshades. Why? I don't know. I mean, I get the comforter one. I don't get the lampshades. Maybe he just wants the raw light to hit him in the face. Well, maybe he smacked it raw and he (laughs) wanted some more. God damn it. (laughs) CM Punk and Christopher Daniels entered a a boxer shorts hot tub contest at Hurricanes in Nashville. Daniels won first place, Punk second in a field of ten. Do you think they just wore their gear? That would be funny if they did, yes. Because Daniels could definitely get away with it. Like, Punk's are a little more basketball but I think they could they could work it. Mm, it's like, no, Punk, those are shorts. That's where Punk actually made the transition to tights for this uh, <laughs> this hot tub contest. Who would you vote in a Christopher Daniels CM Punk boxer shorts hot tub contest in 2003? You see, I personally would lean toward Punk. Yeah, me too. Punk's definitely... <laughs> I would understand why Daniels would probably win, like, the, the mass appeal vote, where he has that more, like, jacked physique, so he probably looks better in He's boxers. also, I think, I think he might, he would have, like, a model frame. Mm. So, but Punk's a bad boy. What, what can we say? Yeah. Easily swayed. 
to, to the average person, I think Daniels is a more conventional boxer shorts hot tub contest winner, as opposed to Punk, who is like, he's more the alternative choice. Yeah, I think Punk would have, if like, even like the, these exact era of them were placed later down the line, Punk would have won. But 2003, I think Daniels has got a safer, a safer chance. Here's a fun note. The company started a video-on-demand experiment on its website. They are charging $6.95, and you can watch any show the company has put on up to the past 45 days. It's pretty good. The most recent shows can't be put on due to contracts with in-demand and or DirecTV. There's apparently a maximum of six hours that you get to watch the show to prevent people from sharing passwords, and there were 400 orders in the first three days or so. It's pretty good. Video-on-demand in 2003... The most influential company of all time, Garrett. Honestly, if there is anybody out there listening who used that video on demand service, I'd love to know what it was like. Because there's no like screenshots or anything. There's no like, obviously it's 2003, there's not a YouTube video of someone looking at the website. If you use this TNA on demand service on the TNA website to watch TNA pay-per-views or watch your favorite TNA shows, please let us know. Hit us up on the Discord, the Voice of the Wrestling Discord. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what the experience of using a video on demand service for TNA in 2003 was like, because that is dramatically ahead of its time. But yeah, this this kind of blows my mind that because there it's mentioned on the show and the, like there's not further details. There was further details in the Wrestling Observer and. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what that looked like and how the user interface was and like what the user experience was like. So yeah, if you're out there and you did order a TNA on demand pay-per-view back in 2003, not the 2009 website, 2010 website, which TNA did have a, a TNA on demand website, which was more in the conventional window of people trying to launch in demand websites. Seriously, let us know. I'd like to know. I'm very intrigued. I wonder um 2003 streaming was like functional oh like you're watching the show in 240p like there is no hope you're watching this in any better quality than no again the 720 no no not in 2003 <laughs> not on those internet connections pal i i know them well because uh we had those internet connections up until about last week because like youtube didn't move to 720p until like 2009 or something oof so yeah, very very interesting times. It's really funny to think that like you know now 4K can be like streamed to your phone on a mobile network. Mm. Whereas here back in the day, you could watch like a tiny letterbox version of the show just shoved in a corner of a screen. To be honest, like you had to watch the really tiny versions because that's the only way it would look like good. <laughs> if you blew it up to a full screen, it looked terrible. Yeah, I wonder if they let you download them, but probably not, given the whole thing that they put the window where you can watch them for six hours, which seems a little stingy. But sure. Yeah, what if you need to like. Go do something. Pick someone up from somewhere. You have to dedicate your, your full time. Yeah, you better make sure that you can watch your TNA paper when you order it. At least they give you the chance to watch three of the shows from that month in that time period. So it's like you could, you could bust out your first three, but then they made sure that if you wanted to watch the entire month, you had to buy it a second time. No, it's it's, it's per show. So it's six ninety five, and then ah. you get six hours to watch whatever show you buy. Ah, and that's worse. <laughs> it's fun that, like, even back in 2003, they're thinking about password sharing, which is a thing we kind of just moved on from, but now Netflix are trying to crack down on it again. It's like, God damn it! They change their mind every, like, three months on that. Mm. But yeah, seriously, if you're out there and you used this service back in 03, let me know. Hmm. Star World renews its deal for a second deal. The station reaches Asia and the Middle East, and the fans in Israel with a satellite are also able to see the show. So apparently TNA is at least doing well enough in, in Asia to be renewed. Wow, I didn't know TNA was on Stardom World. <laughs> <laughs> Second biggest company in Japan, baby. 
Yeah, yeah, Garrett, you're in. And the Garrett gives out about somebody giving out about Cold Crowds Department. Dave Meltzer again. All right, well let's let's just like hit all your points here so we can upload this video and refer to everyone to this video afterwards. No, I'm gonna do it every time, every single time. Uh, I'm leading back. Just go off, King. The continued low response likely indicates a lower purchase rate of the show. The trends of our response and direct TV numbers in the past have been pretty similar. And if that's the case, the numbers and estimates from last week, while accurate for much of the past 18 months, may well be above what the show is doing now. The live crowd was down to 650. This was for the second show of the month of December 10th. And it looked like from lines about two-thirds paper, which indicates very little paid attendance. In addition, anyone with a military ID was allowed in for free. <laughs> the weather was drizzly, windy, and cold, so that didn't help. My own thoughts, again, this is Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer. Watching the show were the same as they've been for a while. They have to get out of the fairgrounds. The people just don't react anymore. This is the thing I hate about this. His next sentence where he doesn't put two and two together. I was watching ROH, and the difference in the crowd could not have been more notable, so it isn't wrestling fans as a whole, but this crowd... But this crowd... But it is... God, reading Dave Meltzer is the most difficult task in the history of humanity. You just have to go slow and hope that people can, like, put it together in their heads. Yeah, but it's this crowd that's the problem. Granted, the ORH product is far superior, and crowd enthusiasm probably wouldn't hold up if they're running weekly shows in the same location with most people getting in for free. Why are people getting in for free, perhaps? Yes, Liam has just highlighted it in the notes and bolded the, granted, the ORH product is far superior. The storylines haven't been strong of late, and most of the characters aren't over at all, but there have been good matches almost every week where the crowd just sits there. Even in the match that gets a little heat, wrestlers have been have described as like pulling teeth in the struggle to get it. The show always feels like an endless series of run-ins and ref bumps. Of the seven matches on the show, six had outside interference finishes, and all six also had either a ref bump or a ref distraction spot leading to the finish. Wow, it's almost like Dave Meltzer came this close, Liam, this close to identifying what the actual problem is and then backed away from it. And then there's also a note from the, the following week, Crowd, which had been dead for weeks, was really into this match and Sting, talking about the Jarrett and Sting match. Liam has added a note to the notes, which I will read verbatim. You book bad shows, the crowd will be bad. Well, well done, Liam. Well said. You have identified Dave Meltzer's <laughs> issue here <laughs> nearly 20 years after the fact. Yeah, I mean, you remember like how the asylum would rock mm -hmm. when really good months of DNA would happen? Mm -hmm. Hey, you remember there was this little cage match that happened yep. not that long ago, and the crowd was really molten for it mm -hmm. because it rocked? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you keep doing good things, wow. I think the crowd will get behind that. And will be loud. But if you do boring things, and the shows have a lot of boring and bad booking, the crowd will get sick of it and won't be into it. That's a, a shocking and revolutionary thought about pro wrestling. Yeah. So, you know, need to get out of that impact zone. I, again, I'm going to do this every time, Liam. Every time somebody suggests this, I'm going to shoot it down. Every single time. We should make the compilation video of every time we make this point. <laughs> It'll just be like eight hours of me going, no, stop blaming crowds for your failure to get your show over stop it and worse Dave Meltzer doing it is like a hundred times worse because if, if the TNA come out and go it's the crowd's fault I get it you're deflecting blame from your own shitty booking but Dave Meltzer being like it's the crowd's fault and then being like well the ROH show is far better and every match on this show has run-ins <laughs> and ref bumps maybe I should put two and two together there but no it's like oh no it's the building's fault 
I do love this. Like, I was watching Ring of Honor and the crowds were going nuts. It must be because they were going to all of these towns where there was 300 to 500 people showing up. And not the fact that the shows were just rocking. I hate this talking point. I hate it. But every fiber I being, and as I said, every time. I'm going to do it every time. I'm sorry. For the entire history of this show, you're going to have to put up with me doing this every time. I wish it would, like, achieve something. <laughs> I wish we could, like, change the discourse about it. If you're listening to this, can you please repeat this talking point whenever someone tries to make this point so we can change the zeitgeist and the, the, the perception of how of TNA in these arenas? And not even just TNA, in general, of wrestling. It's like, it's not the crowds. You can get the crowds back. Yes, you can quote Liam verbatim. You book bad shows, the crowds will be bad. Quote Liam. Just reply mm. to everybody who does crowd blaming with that exact sentence. <laughs> yeah, and then you can you can follow it up with a, with a second quote, which I will now uh, cite. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you book good shows, the crowd will be good. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. This is nuanced, in-depth pro wrestling discussion right now. And then you f- reply with a third tweet after you do that mm. with subscribe to Patreon at TNHat.com. <laughs> Mm. And then you tag at TNA History Pod. Yes, and then follow them to get them to a thousand followers. And then you go to Red Circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have that. You Spotify, Apple, Google. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Yeah, you can go subscribe to YouTube. We have 207 subscribers on YouTube. Yeah, we're, we're chugging along. Send those YouTube clips to people. Good retention rate. That's all we got. We got that. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Huh? Sponsors? All right, that's the news notes for the month. A very long news section. Yeah, I think it's going to be longer than the review section. <laughs> mm. So that brings us to the broad topics for the month, the month that is NWATNA in December 2003. We will start with, not the world title scene, let's start with Raven and the Gathering. Yeah, um, the most fun part of these shows. Yeah. Which is like, I feel like we've been saying Raven, the most fun part of these shows for the last like eight months. Yeah, because consistently Raven is always siloed off at his own little story. Fair enough, this month he's, he's reorbiting back into the Jarrett world because they're building back to that again. But Raven is always just off doing his own thing, having good matches on good shows and telling decent... Like, th- he's working with the red shirts this month, so it's not great. But it's better than nothing. Mm. So, NWATNA pay-per-view number 73, December 3rd, 2003. Raven and Gathering face Abyss and the red shirts. They have a backstage problem before that where Raven insists once again that despite the, the, the pain he wants to inflict on Abyss and the red shirts, this Gathering reunion is only for one night, Liam. My favorite thing about this was them selling throughout the show that... Wow, the gathering back together. I'm like, it was like four weeks ago that, that they were like last teamed. This isn't like they're trying to sell it like some big deal as like Raven and the Gathering back together. It's like I think he only declared his independence from the Gathering like a month ago. Yeah, it was after the hair versus hair match where it's just like, guys, we we did it. You're free. Go do what you want. And then they spent the entire month pestering him. So it wasn't even like they were away from Raven. It wasn't like yeah. they were deprived of Raven. They were with Raven in every segment. At least if they had have like done their own thing for the month and like had like a mini tag feud with someone, we could be like, ah, he's called back his old friends, blah blah blah. They can still have them pine for Raven the whole time, but keep them separate so them coming back together is actually a selling point. Hmm, as opposed to just the thing you're doing because you decided to do it because it builds to a story. Not just a thing that you're telling us is a thing. <laughs> the classic pro wrestling story of tell us the story you think you told, still telling us the story you actually told. Hmm. So then Abyss and the Red Shirts defeated Raven and the Gathering in a six-man tag team match after Abyss spears a chair into Raven. This was a, that was a weird spot. Yeah. I had to watch it back a couple times to like, what actually happened? It feels like a spot that should hurt Abyss just as much as it hurts Raven. Well, it probably does, but he doesn't care. He's a monster. Yeah. 
of Raven the entire month like he he clearly came up with a thing he thought was a very good line which was like nothing escapes a black hole but you hit me with the black hole stab and I'm still standing and he says that like four times this month he's like oh it's a good line I've got to get it in it's not that great of a line no Abyss and the Retro go back and forth with the gathering a couple of times trying to take out Raven but the gathering eventually run them off sweet it was a fun little match there's a lot of weird little segments like that this month where it's like it's not a clean gathering attack and save, you know? It's more like Abyss tries to take out one, but then someone else comes in, but then they're taken out, but someone else comes in, and then it looks like they're going to beat them down, but they make their own comeback. And it's like, okay, what was... I don't know. I, I didn't... I don't mind the the red shirts like, all right, we're just going to beat up people until we know what side you're on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fun little uh, little thing. So based on Abyss pinning Raven in this match, that brings us to NWTNA preview number 74, December 10th, 2003, in which that match was Raven versus Abyss in a rivalry that we'll see blossom for a few years, including a world title match in 2005. But here is their first match right here. I'm, I'm more looking forward to the uh, these later matches. Kind of disappointed by this one, but I was also like, I know that we're going to get probably better ones at some point. Yeah, it had a DQ finish. And this is a reoccurring theme in this month and the previous month of DNA in particular, where it's like, what causes an actual DQ is very confusing. Because, like, there's a spot where uh, somebody goes through a table, there's a bunch of interference already, then the red shirts get into the ring, which is, like, the third or fourth instance of interference in this match. Raven hits them, with like, uh, he fends them off. They don't even attack Raven, but Rudy calls for the DQ anyway. It's like... There's mm. outside interference in this match. There's spears through tables, which the table exploded in a very satisfying fashion, by the way. Yeah, that was a good table bump. Just boom, table go pow. And like this match was built around Abyss doing bear hugs for some reason. He's a bear hug guy now. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy, and let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four-month lifespan, two-way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24-7 customer support, and you'll love this, none of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a Smart Lock 330 and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock 
or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y video lock, eufyofficial.com slash video lock. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah, I like the bear hug. He's just hugging Raven. Who doesn't want to give Raven just a nice hug? Who doesn't want to give Abyss a nice hug? Yeah, it's very strange. But yeah, this this entire match was just a DQ for some reason. I don't know. It's just, it makes no sense. And this this is, is a company-wide problem at the moment where it's like, I don't mind if you want to be the company that's like, we don't do rules that much. We don't do DQs. We just let people do brawls. I'm okay with that. It's like my, um, my theory about like spooky shit in wrestling. Mm. I don't mind it. If it exists within the established canon of the company, yeah. If you're, if you have a company where you acknowledge that spooky shit exists, I'm fine with it. If you have a company where you're like DQs are lenient and it's been that way, I don't mind it. But when you decide to suddenly incorporate this element into that universe without having any sort of explanation, that's when I find it. That's when that disconnect comes out and becomes noticeable. Yeah, because when it's you know. They do a table bump, they do interference, and then suddenly it's it's a DQ because they get in the ring. And again, they don't even beat up Raven. Raven fights them off as Rudy yeah. calls for the DQ, which is, again, against like the general rule of wrestling, where it's like if the babyface fights off the interference, it's not a DQ, is the general rule. It's only when they attack somebody that's an actual DQ. But what what's the rule in this company? There is none. You can put somebody through a table, but you can't fight somebody running in the ring? I don't know. It's weird. I feel like they should have just made the chair shot the DQ. Oh, God. Yeah. Gathering in the Red Shirts Brawl for a while. And the end of this segment is Raven hits Abyss in the face with a steel chair. Not in the head. In the face. I hope the mask took most of it. <laughs> it's just a just a vile looking chair shot. Do you think a mask can absorb a chair shot? <laughs> I don't know. What's the mask made of? Is it some kind of like, what's the thing that Black Panther wears that absorbs the energy and puts it out? <laughs> Uh, I don't want to say adamantium, but is it adamantium? It's vibranium, isn't it? Vibranium. Adamantium is Wolverine. Yeah, so it's it's made of vibranium, so when you hit Abyss in the face, it actually builds up energy and allows them to hit people harder. <laughs> That's canon. <laughs> We're making up all the Abyss canon. We're going to be able to write one of those in-canon books like a bit like a Kane had. The true story of Abyss? Yeah. Uh, earlier in this show, we did also get a Gathering versus Red Shirts match. Gathering one after Daenerys rolled up Northcott. It's a decent little match. I liked. Um, I like seeing the gathering actually work well as a team now, mm. and like they've got some chemistry. The red shirts aren't good, but Northcutt did this real cool pump handle like overhead throw a couple times this month, and it was cool. The red shirts aren't good, but Northcutt has been a sentence I've said a million times. Yeah, because like he's not a good wrestler, but he does occasionally do cool power moves. So you're like, you know what? He's not awful. And I like his backstory of bouncing in the streets of New Orleans. Yes. He is a martial artist who fights off people in the streets of New Orleans who get too rowdy. That's that's the perfect pro wrestling character. Yeah, if he wasn't the security man, he he would be much better off. Yeah, but he is like he's perfect in the role of six man tags where he can just pop in and do one of his cool power moves and pop out, and he doesn't actually have to wrestle. Yeah, I don't mind the red shirts as wrestlers to be honest, because they've either done they've either done that they've done plunder with people who are good at plunder or they've squashed nerds. Mm. And even, I know you preferred the Ryan Wilson era over the Joey Legend era, but Legend is a nice little wrestler, even if he's not particularly interesting. I like this version of Legend more than, like, 
rival to the stars. Mm, weird. So yeah, Raven hits Abyss in the face. Again, right in the face. Horrifying looking thing. Made a, just a sadistic noise. Right in the face with a steel chair. And then he made a challenge next week for a steel cage match. Ooh. Then Don, Don Callis later accepted the challenge. There's a note about Don Callis. <laughs> Wrestlers are mockingly referring to Don Callis as Butthead. Because of his resemblance to the character from Beavis and Butthead. That's rude. You know what though? I see it. A little bit. He's He is a man who has aged gracefully. Yeah, he doesn't look like Butthead anymore. So people can't call him Butthead in 2022. He looks nothing like Butthead now. He looks like a suave older gentleman now. Hmm. He's like, I'll never be called Butthead again. You, is Callus like, signed to AEW? I have no idea. That's an interesting... Because, like, he kind of d- disappeared for a while after the Impact stuff. And then, like, he's back, though. When, like, I assume he'll be back when Kenny's back. But Kenny will probably be coming back as a baby face. So, Don with them? I don't Maybe know. Don brings in someone else? Maybe Don Don is, like, Jay White's guy? That would be an interesting choice. Hmm, interesting. So, like, well, because, like, I just think it makes sense, like, to continue the theme of Jay White being the guy who, like, replaces Kenny. Hmm. Uh, Callus is said to be taking these butthead comments in his stride. Although Callus had to, uh, lo- a lot of locker room heat during his run-in with WWE, he was le- well-liked in ECW and is also popular in the TNA locker room. Hey, Don Callis, you're also popular with me. So yes, Don Callis accepts that six-man tag team challenge for the next week, which is our main event of NWA TNA pay number 67, December 7th. The Gathering and Raven face the Red Shirts and Abyss inside a steel cage. Earlier in the show, there is an interview with The Gathering and CM Punk where Punk says that he and Julio are there to make sure Raven gets what he deserves. (laughs) Now, in the context of that promo, it, of course, is to suggest, because if Raven wins this match, he will face Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title on the January 7th pay-per-view. So in the context of that promo, it's the world title shot he deserves, of course, Liam. But perhaps he has an alternative meaning. I like to imagine that Raven's so, like, narcissistic that he's like, yeah, I I will get what I deserve. And he didn't go, huh, wait, what? (laughs) You're not going to betray me, are you? Nah, that'd be silly. Punk, they're so devoted. There was a moment in this promo where Raven lost the thread of his promo. <laughs> he started a line and then shifted to another. And then you just see Punk behind him start corpsing. And he's like starts chuckling to himself and he's clearly trying to hold it in. Yeah, for like a minute. He gets it right back towards the end. He just gets it in time. Yeah. Good. But like, you gotta remember, like Punk's been working with this dude for a year <laughs> in two companies. Like they probably don't have enough rapport now. Yeah, because when Raven does the quote the Raven Nevermore, Punk also mouths along to the Nevermore. Nevermore. Because they're devoted, but also, nevermore will they team with them. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So yes, main event, Steel Cage match, Abyss and the Red Shirts defeat Raven and the Gathering after CM Punk and Julio De Niro turn on Raven, (gasps) hit him with a concerto, and drape Abyss over Raven. The Gathering have exploded. I mean, I never thought this would happen. There was no foreshadowing here. To be fair, like the, it, this is one of those where it does make perfect sense that they, like they're thoroughly devoted to Raven. They loved him. They wanted to do everything for him. But Raven spurned that love unless it was convenient to him. So like yeah. they're perfectly in the will and their rights to turn on Raven. Be- hey, Raven's in the wrong here. You just wanted to use us when it was convenient to fight Abyss and the Red Shirts. You didn't care about us. You don't want to be our friends. And if you want to bring it right back. He was also physically and mentally abusing them. Yeah, he shoved bleach down Alexis Lurie's throat. And, like, sent them to the wolves multiple times to get beat up instead of him. Yeah, so it does make a lot of sense. The one thing you could criticize is that it was the classic, they worked a full steel cage match and then turned on Raven. Which I only accept in Dragon Gate. (laughs) Which, like, it does make some degree of sense. 
because the gathering aren't joining Jarrett's stable. There will be another development of this in January. So it's not like they're they're joining the other side. They're still at odds with the other side, but still it would make a lot more sense to just hit Raven with the chair at the start of the match and not do a bloody violent cage match. Yeah. Like this match isn't great, but Punk does an elbow drop off a cage. Which like he lands like weirdly vertically. Yeah, it's very strange because they do a double stack of a table, they put Abyss on top, and he does an elbow drop off the cage through two tables, which is a cool looking spot to be fair. Yeah, I'm always a fan of the double stack tables. Is that Punk's only off the cage moment of his career? I'd have to go back and watch the Raven ones. Yeah, I don't know the Ring of Honor, his Ring of Honor stuff to know whether or not he has done moves off of cages. I'm pretty sure he hasn't in WWE. I think he did in Ring of Honor. So yeah, elbow drop off the cage through two tables. It's pretty cool. But the match is so like utterly chaotic that while he is doing that, Jarrett and Styles are brawling on the ramp and Sting comes out right after he does it. So it's just utter chaos. Which I kind of don't mind if you're doing like a, this is meant to be a chaotic match, you know? Yeah, it works. I think that just the one thing is it maybe doesn't give Punk the, the emphasis he deserves for a dude that just did an elbow drop off a cage. Yeah, fair enough. It's like, it literally cuts away to Sting as as he lands. Like, Sting walks out immediately after. But yeah, that's the, the big turn, the big swerve. The Gathering have turned on Raven, they're going out on their own, and that's our, our feud heading into January. The the thing that takes Raven once again away from the path of challenging Jack Jarrett for the world title. From his destiny. Yes, he's been, his destiny is once again derailed Liam as the Gathering has betrayed him. He has to go beat his kids. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this wasn't a Vince Russo thing. Mm. His metaphorical kids. But with literal beatings. Unlike with Vince Russo, where it was his literal kids, but metaphorical beatings. Yeah, of course. It's an important distinction. Hmm. Uh, Before we continue, I need to pee, so... Occupy yourself. Uh, (laughs) Girls of TNA, 2004 calendar. This is the section where only I'm gonna talk. We had a couple of bloody uh, girls, and they were taking photos in uh, scantily bloody clad outfits, don't you know? Um, They made them lay on the entrance ramp, which is really gross. Uh, They only had two of them in the ad, uh, Lollipop and the Ring Girl, who I don't know the name of. But I think there was more, because they employ a lot of women who could have been in this. I hope they got paid. Alright, the 2004 calendar ad. Um, very lewd. Just just very, very lewd. More lewd than you'd probably expect. But I guess it's pay-per-view and you can get away with that? I don't know. Um, again, can't stress enough how gross it was them for them to be laying on the ramp like that. Uh, one lady, not Lollipop, was laying on the ropes. That seems unhygienic as well, but probably not as bad. Um, I just probably did numbers. I can only imagine. I assume they sold them at the fucking, what do you call it? The asylum? It's probably how they made back the panda money. I can only assume. So, yeah, there's my in-depth review of the Girls of TNA 2004 calendar ad. Um, I don't know if the actual calendar still exists. Uh, but we'll find out, I suppose. Garrett's going to return. He's going to talk about the Girls of TNA 2004 calendar ad. That is the review of the ad for the 2004 Girls of TNA calendar. My favorite game, anytime we do a pause like that, is... When I'm editing to see how Liam filled the time. <laughs> you can leave that one in. That was just a legitimate uh, summary of the Girls of TNA 2004 calendar ad. Well, well done. Good job. 
Yeah. So that's all the Raven and Gathering stuff. That brings us to the NWA title picture, which started of the month began with the Jeff Jarrett and AJ Styles world title match. It was fine. Yeah, so earlier in that show, there's a Trio K segment. They come out, they're like, this mother's a bad jam. Conan does his catchphrases. <laughs> they were like, they did say that they go, this mother is a bad jam. Beware coming for you. It's the remix, Three Like Crew. They did talk later in the month about remixing a new song. So it might be that song, Liam. You might get the Trio K theme. Beware. The most notable thing about this Trail K part of this segment is that BG James, for the first time in TNA history, does the classic New Age Outlaws intro. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the National Wrestling Alliance proudly brings to you its new NWA TNA Tag Team Champions of the World, the Three Live that makes sense, because this is the first time he's tag champions. <laughs> yeah, the classic ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, just for total arm stock action. Proudly brings to you, it's new NWA TNA tag team champions of the world. Not well, He didn't do the not one, not two, three life crew. He didn't have that nailed down yet. He just did the three life crew. But it is, I think, the first time in TNA history the crowd actually cared about him. Yeah, it's nice. Well, no, they did those cool uh, segments outside of the asylum, and they were pretty into them there. Mm. But he was, they were into three life crew. They weren't into BG. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd argue they're still into the life crew here. But like the crowd actively perked up. They're like, oh, he's doing the New Age Outlaws catchphrase. Woo! He really nailed it with that, huh? Mm. So a promo segment can't go by as particularly the place in this show. This was the segment two promo segment. It can't go by without Jarrett coming out. Because we need to find out what side 3LK are on. Yeah, so Jarrett is doing this thing all month where he wants talent to to, to declare which side of the war they are on because he has declared war on TNA and declared war on Eric Watts. And him and Don Callis are trying to remove Eric Watts from power. So they want everybody to declare which side they're on. Are they on Watts' side yeah, or I are they on Jarrett's side? we should declare what side we're on. Okay, uh, on three, we'll say what side we're on. Three, okay. two, one... Watts. Eric Watts. Oh, well done. Of course. I also realized I just said on three and then counted down from three. I know, but... I, you did confuse me for a second, but I was managed. I managed to compose myself in time. Don't worry about it, it's fine. I gave you a nice long count so that you wouldn't get confused. I like to imagine that everyone else at home also declared what side they're on. If you didn't, please at us with which side you're on. Are you Team Jarrett or Team Watts? Of course, we will judge you severely depending on which side you're on. Unless you can, hey, maybe I can be swayed. That's true. You're going to turn on Watts? Well, he's losing power, so <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so yeah, Jared comes out, asks Trio K, and AMW are in the ring, by the way. AMW also came out to, to continue beefing with Trio K a little. But to decide which side they're on, are they with Jarrett or are they with Watts? AMW immediately like, no, we're not on your side, Jeff, you suck. Then Jeff called them mid-card wrestlers. <laughs> Which is like such a like a twist from like, hi guys, you want to be on my side? All right, mid carders, all right. No one cares about your opinion. Mm. It is the very much like I wanted you, but now you've turned on me. No, I don't want you. Yeah, it's <laughs> Sigma grind set. I told you. So Jarrett wants an answer from Three LK, but they they don't firmly declare which side they're on. Disco comes out with the NYC, which aren't still the NYC. They're it's, it's Diamond Swinger and David Young. I'm going to call them the NYC from now on because it's easier because it's four people. I'm convinced this is a fan name you've given them. Literally, it's in the entrance. It's live from the Bronx. It's NYC. It literally is right there. It's the New York connection. I, no, I refuse to acknowledge that. Trinity is added to it at some stage. Oh, spoilers. I know, I'm ruining it for you just to prove a point. Yeah, Disco declares loyalty to Jarrett, but Diamond and Swinger are mad, which sets up this month-long story where Diamond and Swinger are beefing with Disco. The second best story of the month. Sure. Yeah. 
I guess. This rocked. I wouldn't say it rocked, but... So yeah, Diamond and Swing are mad. They don't want Disco speaking for them. They're mad about how David Young is costing the tag titles. So Jarrett demands a decision from, from Diamond and Swinger. But Watts and Goldie Locks come out instead because the segment is very long and there's lots of people in it. So Watts makes a, a three-way number contenders match between Diamond and Swinger, AMW, and David Young and Glengal Birdie for later in the show. And also says that he will be in AJ Styles' corner for the main event. I just want to mention real quickly that like, for a man who is apparently has no more power... He'd still be making matches at the drop of a dime. Well, because he is the matchmaker. He is still the director of authority, Liam. I guess what I'm saying here is that this is some sort of psyop uh, slander campaign being run by the Jarretts to make uh, Watts feel like, to insinuate that Watts has no power, but he clearly does. Yeah, so when Watts is in the crowd, there's a dude standing behind Goldilocks who looks very shifty. He tried to touch Watts at one point, and she's like, stop it. <laughs> and Watts continues not to say ass, unless he says Calass. He calls Don, Don Callas Cal Calass, ass. but he doesn't call Jeff the jack ass Jarrett. Jarrett. He doesn't say yeah. ass for that. He says, he says jack. Jeff Jack ass. ass. Well, he's getting the pop, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good babyface work. But yeah, the entire story this month is that there are rumors, as you mentioned, that that Eric Watts <sighs> is being ousted. I can't believe uh, Watts wasn't in the 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 bracket for who could be the the new main babyface as they go to TV. I know he's he's been the biggest star on the show. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. Thank you. No, no, you said <laughs> live by it. So Goldilocks is backstage changing in her dressing room, Liam. <laughs> sure is. Then Tracy Brooks comes in and they argue about whose dressing room it is. Tracy with an eye. That is a very important distinction. They drive that home later in the show during the Shane Douglas and Michael Shane against Chris Saban and Sanjay Dutt match where it's like, it's Tracy with an eye. No, it's, it's Tracy with an eye. Pie in the sky from Tracy with an eye. That does rhyme. <laughs> they say it every time. <laughs> but here, Goldilocks is like, oh, this is my dressing room. Eric Watts gave it to me. And Tracy's like, lol. Watts doesn't have the power to give out dressing rooms. And she's like, yes he does no he doesn't yes he does no he doesn't yes he does no he doesn't <laughs> yes he does we'd have done a dramatic reenactment of the segment between tracy and Goldilocks. now there you go yeah guess who was who how frizzy is your hair <laughs> very oh then you're definitely goldilocks <sighs> buy a fucking brush <laughs> <laughs> state of you oh uh, but yeah the thing here is tracy's like oh watts might be let go and goldilocks looks concerned yeah, she's doubting her man. Mm. To be fair, he hasn't been the most forthcoming with any information, so... That brings us to our main event, in which Jarrett defends the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against the phenomenal AJ Styles. In a good match, not great match? It's fine. It's a, I gave it three and a quarter. It's it's They still make title matches feel like a big deal. They do the, the traditional introductions, they do a, a video package, they do the tale of the tape... They do everything, to be fair to them, and they do the dramatic entrances with the slow music. They do as much as they can to make title matches still feel like a big deal, even if every time they descend into the same old, like, bullshit run-ins rep bumps. Oh, I feel like this will be the next three years of this. It sure will be. I'm ho I hope you're excited, because there was a period where they these matches happened, particularly, I think it was the first Jarrett Styles match, which is easily their best match, which you were like, maybe this formula's good. Do you still, still think this formula's good, Liam? I don't hate it, but I will. <laughs> I, I, this formula works if a crowd's into it. Mm. If a crowd's going is molten and cheering and going nuts every run in, then yeah, it'll work. But right now, they don't give a fuck. So this is where Mike Tanay just casually slid in that Hulk Hogan's knee surgery isn't going so well and he's not coming to TNA. I mean, I'm shocked. Just dropped it in there. During a pre-match interview with, I think it was Styles. Styles was doing this role, or no, it was with Jarrett, and Jarrett was like, here is the wall where all of the former NWA champions are, and it was of the TNA era, and it was a photo of Jarrett, and it was a photo of Styles, and I was like, where the fuck is Ron? Yeah, what the fuck? Where's Ken? And Ken, there's only been four of them. 
Could you not put up two other photos? <laughs> Maybe they were just off screen. Ron still works for the company. I mean, I guess if you want to, like, not acknowledge Ken, sure, whatever. But Ron's there. Yeah. You could get the photo. It's like, hey, hold this belt. We need a photo for the wall. To be fair, I think, like, they forgot Ron was champion, too. Mm. Because at one point in one of the matches, Don West goes, Ron could be a champion in any division. Well, he's right. I think that's just his flexibility. He was. <laughs> he was champ, guys. NWA world champ. No, and, like, Jarrett was like, you're going to be a future star. It's like, again... He was the champion. Before you were too, pal. That's like as like idiotic as when he would be like, AJ, you're not on this level. He beat you. Mm. <sighs> so I did love Jarrett in this match. He did a slingshot crossbody and then started gloating about how he's like, I'm X Division level. <laughs> he also, for some reason, did the three amigos. Yeah, yeah, busted out. He's Eddie Guerrero of the NWA TNA. <laughs> Jarrett does not have the, the hip work to make that work, though. Who does? Eddie Guerrero. Ah, Santana. <laughs> yeah, it is very funny to see the people who do have like the, the hip flexibility to make it three Amigos look good, and the people who don't, and it looks terrible. Yeah, I, to be fair, like, there's a reason Eddie did it best, you know? Mm. He, he, like, he'd get, like, these, like, um, like, gymnast-style leg rolls. Yeah. It was crazy. So, interference kicked in, Watts came out, hit Jarrett with a choke slam for, actually, well, what was honestly a pretty good near fall. Crowd bit on that one. I mean... When the biggest star in the company comes out, you know. The red shirts ran out, gathering around them off. Abyss ran out, but AMW ran off. Ref bump when Jarrett missed an Inziguri. Jimmy Hart came out as a substitute ref, but Kid Cash stopped him from counting down a Styles Clash. Favorite part of that, he was pulled out of the ring by Cash, and he counted one, and he was like looking over his shoulder, being like, where's, where's Kid Cash? Very slowly counted two, and he was like, Whoa, and then Kid Cash finally got there just about on time. I remember when Jimmy came in, I was like, Jimmy's turning. <laughs> I'm so, like, broken by this company. I'm like, Jimmy's definitely turning here. He's going to declare his allegiance to Jeff Jarrett. He probably would have a better angle if Jimmy did turn. Mm. But then he'd have to stick around. But then he could be the manager of this Jarrett stable. I guess Callus is already the manager of this Jarrett stable, so that would be a conflicting role. But yeah, Kid Cash pulled him out. Jarrett hit Styles with guitar. Would retain the NWA title. The big development here is that Kid Cash has declared loyalty to Jeff Jarrett. What a development. We're firmly in, like, the Jarrett guitar stuff now. This is this is the Jarrett. This is the TNA Jeff Jarrett. Because, like, the version of Jarrett, we've mentioned this a couple times, that we've seen in TNA so far, which is, like, Stone Cold Jeff Jarrett, kind of general Southern babyface Jeff Jarrett, and then generic babyface Jeff Jarrett. Those are not, the, like, the TNA Jeff Jarretts. The ones that, that the kind of Jeff Jarrett that immediately comes to everybody's mind the second they think of Jeff Jarrett and TNA. This Jeff Jarrett is TNA Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Overbearing, guitar shots, ref bumps, run-ins. That's TNA Jeff Jarrett. We're, we've hit the point. And I'm sure uh, it won't get old. As mentioned, we have three more years of this. <laughs> hey, at least it can happen in the impact zone. Or the crowds can make noise as opposed to some other buildings. Yeah, they should move. So that brings us to NWA TNA Baby number 74, December 10th, 2003, from the Asylum where Jarrett starts the show sitting down with all of his crew outlining his victims. His victims are Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, Jim Duggan, Rick Steiner, Dusty Rhodes, Toby Keith. I like him putting Toby Keith in there, even though he got suplexed by him. Vince Russo and the Tennessee Titans. Who beat the fuck out of him. Those are the victims of Jeff Jarrett and TNA. The soon-to-be victims are AMW, AJ Styles, Don Harris, and Eric Watts. I like how they didn't consider them victims, even though they've probably done more to them than they did to some of the others. Yeah. And then... On the fence, 
Tree Life Crew. What about Shane Douglas? The franch- the new franchise is also on the fence. But uh, we don't get to the franchise until later in the show when Scott Hudson asks him. It's like, what side are you on? He's like, you know what? At this know. point, he's still on the fence, though. He should be on the fence ahead of time. The Gathering should be on the fence. I think you have to be asked what side you're on until you're on the fence, though. Uh, Raven is not on the soon-to-be victim side. That's true, even though there's a whole feud about it. Mm, what could it mean? <laughs> So this show features the return of Hot Rod Roddy Roddy Piper. The show opens with Kid Cash against Don Harris. They have a match. Red shirts interfere. Jared hits Don Harris with a guitar. Kid Cash wins. Good summary. That's what happened. Afterwards, Stiles came out, ran off Jared's crew with a chair. They surrounded him around the ring, but then you hear the sound of bagpipes, Liam. <laughs> That's definitely the sound of Roddy Piper's theme song. Well done. Thank you. Nashville Pipes and Drums come strolling in. Jeff Jarrett looks shook as Hot Rod Rowdy Roddy Piper finally returns to the asylum after months of being ostracized and pulled out. And Piper is back. Piper gets in the ring, says Jarrett was on his victims list, not the other way around. D'Lo Brown returns to help Styles and Piper take out Jarrett and company. Well, he says not the other way around, but Roddy Piper was not on the victims list. It's true. He's not there. So he's right. He's just stating a fact here. <laughs> He was not a victim of Jeff Jarrett. It's interesting. We do get a little Piper physicality where he fights off the red shirts with some knee lifts, some punches. <laughs> it's fun. And then main event is made. Styles and D'Lo versus Jarrett and a partner for the main event with Piper in Styles and D'Lo's corner. Listen, for as much as Piper was kind of bad in all of those pre-tapes and all of his previous promos, I liked Piper here. Yeah, um, he had the same kind of energy as Jake did when he first came into AEW as a manager, where it's like, a little off, little off kilter, a little unhinged, but, uh, you know, still good. Yeah, and for as much as he's just, as you said, unhinged, and some of his promos in TNA have been unhinged for many different reasons. He's been here a couple of times over the last year now, especially with his pre-tapes, but... God, he's a huge star. He's still a rowdy, rowdy piper. For God, like, he, he can be terrible. He can cut the worst promos in the world. But when that dude's walking out to freaking an entire pipes and drum band, the Nashville Pipes and Drums, like, he feels like the biggest star in this company. He, he, he got his one health insurance line in. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this company gave health insurance, but didn't. I don't know. That story's weird. He said, this guy gave health insurance so that young guys like him won't. <laughs> and it's like, didn't they? <laughs> it wasn't the whole thing that they didn't give him health insurance. And he's like, uh, he was like, oh, the NWA is one of the few places that hell has health insurance for these young guys. It's like, what's the whole point of this angle was that they didn't? Also, they don't. Yeah. In fact, there's a, a story that I didn't include this month that like there was a, a fundraiser for Rick Santel's shoulder surgery because he hurt his shoulder on TNA, as if you remember. And... Mm-hmm. There was the whole thing. It's like, well, he didn't get any medical help from TNA. But, mm. but they organized the fundraiser. Well, they did contribute to it. And even Hogan and Piper submitted things as well. So, <laughs> You know what? I hope Piper would <laughs> after all this. <laughs> submitted stuff to be auctioned off. Yeah. Yeah. Piper. He did do a Neverland line about Don Callis being disappointed, which is like. <sighs> There's a few lines this month where it's like, oh, we're getting back to the old. The old cringeworthy lines, aren't we? Edgy TNA, it's edgy. Well, we got B- BG fell back into that trope a little bit too. Doesn't he always? He can't trust BG to open his mouth for longer than like four sentences without them resorting to something. Yeah, uh, it was in the the NYC angle where they came up. They started arguing with each other, and he's like, "I'll leave you boys to discuss same sex marriage." Oh, and yeah. he just left. It's like, oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
2003. Friday, as we record this, was the 19-year anniversary of the Age of Stars Chainsaw Gaysler moment, so there you go. Ah, we should repost <laughs> the YouTube link. Celebrate the wonderful moment in TNA history. Wonderful. That moment is legitimately funny, just because it's because he gets flustered. <laughs> the first thing that comes out of his mouth is a slur. Yeah, he's like, I don't know what to say here, so I'm going to say a slur. <laughs> So the show long story here is that who is Jared's partner going to be? I don't know why, because his partner just ends up being Kid Cash. <laughs> sure. Like, it could have just been announced to be Kid Cash at the start of the show. Why was it a mystery? Because you want to catch those people who are flipping the ch- Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to our main event. AJ Styles and D'Lo Brown reunite their tag team to face Kid Cash and Jeff Jarrett. It's a nice return to form with some flags being incorporated. Oh, which flags? Oh, because yeah, oh, Piper had an NBA flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I obviously huge flag show over here. Mm-hmm. Some would call us the flagship. Yes, of course. And I just, I just appreciated, you know, for us, just appealing to our deep love of flags. Yeah, it's a good flag. That is a flag I would put on my wall. The NWA flag. Yeah, I'm sure Billy is probably selling them. Have to get in contact. So yeah, finish of this match, Piper hit Cash with the NWA flag, allowing Styles did a middle of Styles clash for the win. Yeah, it was a nice little match. It was nothing special. Yeah, I liked it. D'Lo came out with a cool robe. Yeah, like he's, I've, I'm back from old Japan. <laughs> I, have, I have my robe for my Japanese excursion. Yeah, I like when people do that. To make me look like a cool, legit pro wrestler. Robes are cool. They are. You know how much coo- how much cooler the, oh, fuck, the major players? <laughs> what? Myers and Cardona. You could have just said Myers and Cardona, but sure. Yeah, I tend to remember their actual tag name. But they have cool, like, robes now. And it's a, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, it's nice to see Styles and Dilla back together. This is the end of their rerun. They have another tag match next week, and uh, they don't team again until I think June or July. But like to be fair, this is more of an extended run than I thought we were going to get. So yeah, we got a, a few more little Styles and Dilla matches to add to the Styles and Dilla canon. But uh, after this match, Watts announces that Jeff Jarrett will face Sting next week. But there is dispute over whether or not it'll be a title match. Hmm, I think it won't be. My favorite part is they accidentally played Sting's music early after. <laughs> Or Styles won the match, they played the Styles music, and then Sting's music just randomly hit and then cut away. Yeah, I liked it. It was fun. And the crowd's like, hmm? Yeah, and then when Watts announces Jared versus Sting, they cut to a a scorpion on the wall of the stage as they play Sting's music. How did he do that? How did he get the scorpion? Did he buy a projector? Is he sitting there with the projector? Why didn't he just come out? He's just up in the rafters projecting it down. Wow. He's like Batman. It's the it's the sting signal. The stignal. <laughs> it's the stignal. I mean, I can't beat it, so. NWA TNA Baby number 76, December 17th, opened with Jeff Jarrett versus Sting. It actually really opened with Eric Watts rallying the troops. People are questioning Eric Watts' leadership here multiple times, Liam. Yes, yeah, because we had um the basically the same segment last week mm. with a cooler array of people it's just because punk was there no it was because sabin was there actually punk was at both it was sabin which was the guy who was missing so yes I-, I will accept the cooler array of people i apologize yeah sabin was in this one and don harris was at the next one so that is really trading down yeah and um yeah people are i mean the gathering makes sense that you know the gathering would be the two who are like yeah, all right maybe what they were saying about you's right and they, they left. Yeah, we don't get indoctrinated into cults like this. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we're free thinkers. We can see through these kind of antics. We also have Eric Watts in a snazzy suit. Oh yeah, so yeah, the, the opening segment of that show is that Jared comes out and he's like, ha ha, I don't have to defend the NWA title because I don't have to defend it for 30 days. And he does the Jeff Jarrett head point. He's all very proud of himself. 
<laughs> Ain't I great? He's like, if this was football, it'd be 45-0 and 0 against Eric Watts. I don't know what that means. That's a scoreline. Oh, like, is it a specific, like, is it relevant to a, a thing that was happening at the time? Or? I don't think so. I think he just said a number. Cool. Watson Goldie came out. Watson pulled his pocket square and he threw it as like a flag on the play to, to extend the football metaphor. <laughs> He's like, it all went over my head. While Jeff Jarrett is right that it will not be an NWA title match, he will actually be facing Sting right now. <gasps> so Jarrett versus Sting. Typical interference. Redshirts interfered. AMW ran them off. Kid Cash handed Jared a guitar, but AJ took it away, allowing Sting to hit the Scorpion Death Drop and win. And then Jared threw a hissy fit and got into a fight with Mike Tanay. Yay. And Tanay had some great faces. Oh, yeah. there were some sensational Mike Tanay faces. He was like outraged and angry and indignant all in one facial expression. Tremendous stuff from Mike Tanay. The best. And you know, for a guy who's usually like quite measured, even if he's angry, he's he's angry in a measured way on this show. He was like unhinged. He was making unhinged faces. He's gone full Goldie. <laughs> he was gonna fight, dude. Yeah, he was getting stuck in. He pushed my Jared back. It's like he's getting stuck into it with Jared. It's Mike Tanay and Jeff Jared. It was a a child flipping Jared off. Oh yeah, well done, child. To hates Jeff Jared. <laughs> and I will say they were outlining the people who could potentially be baby faces in the show. You know, Raven and Chris Harris and AJ Styles. What about Mike Tanay? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, what about the child in the crowd? Yeah, you know, the child in the crowd could be a decent candidate too. Yeah, move to Florida. Uh, so yeah, Sting beat Jarrett to set up a match that doesn't happen. Oh. We should mention an, an important point on the show, of course, is that Goldilocks is questioning Eric Watts now, Liam. I mean, I, can you blame her? It's, her life has not gone well since her relationship with Eric Watts started. She lost her job. She has the frizziest hair that has ever frizzed on television, except maybe Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode probably has frizzier hair. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a neck and neck race. Between Goldilocks and Bobby Roode for frizzy hair. Yeah. I mean, like we said, it's a terrible relationship. They're not good for each other, but I can't imagine them with anyone else. Yeah, because it started last month with their interrogator segment where she was like, you're going to get rid of Don Callis, right, Eric? And No, to be fair, it started from the beginning. <laughs> from the moment that they first talked to each other, it was already contentious. Yeah, the, the, the descent is ramping up and now she's increasingly questioning the choices and decisions of Eric Watts. Well, she got mocked by Tracy with an eye. It's true. She's in lower in the pecking order than Tracy with an eye. It doesn't get worse than that. I mean, literally, like, she might be the lowest ranked person on the show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so later in the show, they continue to question the loyalty of Diamond and Swinger. We'll talk about that more when we're talking about the tag team stuff. And then Styles, Sting, and Jarrett brawled at ringside for the cage match main event. Mm-hmm. That's your world title scene in which Jeff Jarrett doesn't have a challenger because the whole idea is that Raven lost his shot against Abyss in the Red Shirts and AJ lost his shot against Diamond and Swinger, which we'll talk about in a second when we get to the tag stuff. So Raven, D'Lo, and AJ are all out of the title picture. So Jarrett has removed all of his foes, even though he still has a scheduled title match on January 7th. Mm. So who will he face? I think he will face Hulk Hogan. Mm. Brother. My knee suddenly had a sudden recovery, brother, and I'm coming in to save the day. What you gonna do? And we're running the Silver Dome, brother. I only need one knee to take down Jeff Jarrett, brother. We're doing it in Tokyo, brother. All right, let's go over to the X Division. Like, the uh, less division. Well done, nailed it. Thank you. So the entire story of December is the build to Ultimate X2, which is teased by Chris Saban and on this show. X2, like the X-Men movie. Yeah, the best X-Men movie, too. What was in X2? 
The one with the guy with the psychic powers. <laughs> He's in all of them. No, it was a different guy with the psychic powers, though. Okay. I remember Last Stand. That was, like, my favorite movie as a kid because I didn't know what good movies were. Ah, the, the, the classic period of childhood where it's just, like, loud noises and cool characters equals cool movie. And then you watch it, it's like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah. I still have a, a fondness for those movies because of that reason, I feel. Even though uh, The Last Stand is terrible? Yeah. I still like it, though. X2 and X1 are actually really good movies. It's funny how The Last Stand is still, like, the best Dark Phoenix <laughs> movie that I've done. Is that just a bad story? Have we actually secretly worked out that it's just not a very interesting story? I think it's interesting. It just has to be something that's actually built up to. Mm. Like, it's a long-term story. It's not something you do... Like, the one the one that they like, recently did just was unforgivable. <laughs> They're like, all right, it's the second movie. We're going to do Dark Phoenix. Well, technically, it was the fourth movie. Because there was First Class, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, and then Dark Phoenix. Yeah, but they had, like, a movie's worth of build. Yeah, it was the second with Gene Grey. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, it's just something that has to actually been been built to. I don't know. I think secretly it's not a very interesting story, even if it's an iconic comic story. Yeah, which sometimes maybe things don't translate. But I think it could be translated Mm. well. I think it hasn't been. To be fair, Dark Phoenix does have the best action scene in the X-Men movie. Mm. There's that scene at the end of the movie where they're on a train and it just kicks ass. There's like two minutes of that movie that are as good as any X-Men movie has ever been. And the rest of the movie is pretty garbage. But that two minutes where it's just Magneto knocking dudes off trains with his freaking magnet powers. And it's just because very rarely in those movies do you get just unadulterated. The X-Men come together and kick some ass. Mm. And that's a scene where the X-Men come together and kick some ass. And it's so good. Uh, they also did that in X-Men The Last Stand. <laughs> they didn't kick much ass though. They kicked all those, like, C-tier mutants ass. Yeah, all the goons trying to take their powers with the guns, with the power-draining guns. Yeah, that rocked. (laughs) I was gonna say that, is Magneto just the most cinematic of the X-Men, and that's why he works the best? Like, he's an interesting character with depth and sides to him, that you can play babyface and heal Magneto interestingly, so I think that's the reason he works very well. It also helps that, like... You cast Ian McKellen as him in the first place. <laughs> so that does a lot of the heavy and, lifting. And Fassbender, like, let's be real, he killed it as well. So You cast two tremendous actors to carry the weight of that role. And they did so very, very well. So I think that does help. I do think Magneto is like the one of the deeper, more interesting, more layered comic book villains. That has like sides and, and interesting backstory and, and meaningful backstory that you can do a lot of things with. But I, I also find myself, whenever I think back to any of the X-Men movies, all of my favorite scenes are Magneto scenes mm. like i was re-watching the scene where he people love this i was re-watching the scene the other day where he broke out of the plastic prison by using the iron in the man's blood yeah it rules <laughs> and, and i was like oh he's the best character they've ever done yeah and like they couldn't have cast like professor x and magneto better like it's impossible to do better than patrick stewart and Ian mckellen as, as the people to play those roles you could like legitimately you could not pick two better human beings to play those characters and you may never be able to pick two better human beings which is why you should maybe just do fastbender again <laughs> yeah and like it's the same thing with Hugh Jackman he was so good as Wolverine that you're just like i like th- th- there'll be another Wolverine and he'll probably be pretty good but you nailed it the first time so it's going to be quite hard uh, there was just some other scenes that immediately came to mind was like the scene where uh I really like a lot of Ian McKellen scenes, but I think my favorite ones are uh, Fastbender scene, mm. just because I love the one where he had to use his powers to save a dude, and then his whole like workplace sold him out. Yeah, and he went back and he's like, "All right, I, I'm going to slaughter everyone now. I just hope that's cool." <laughs> 
I'm also a big fan of the trope, which you see in Guardians 2 with um, Yondu, where it's like one small object, it just goes through a ton of dudes. Yeah. I love that. And like, he's, he's someone who's like, who has had some great scenes doing that similar thing, like um, where he gets the knife off the wall and kills like the the Nazi guys who like got away and got undercover. Mm. That's like in the in the bar. There's some really good stuff. Good character, good actors, good movies, and a, a character that can can do a lot of interesting things in scenes that make them interesting. Yeah, and you, you can babyface them, which they have. Yeah, for both of them, they babyface both Pekelin and Fassbender. So mm. I look forward to him in MCU. So the first show of the month opens with Loki uh, defending. Sorry, I just had whiplash then, just <laughs> going straight to the X Division. We went from X Men to the X Division. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, the X-Men division. So Loki defeated Christopher Daniels and Kid Cash in your favorite match of the month by a landslide. Yeah, this match rocked. I think it's mostly, I, I liked that Daniels like was kind of a heel. <laughs> Sorry, not a heel, he was kind of a face in this. Mm. He got over because he was just doing cool shit. They all just did cool shit. And you know, that is the way to my heart. Yeah, you're right about Daniels' Asai Moonsault, by the way. It's very good. Yeah. Daniels rocks. Loki got a huge reaction in this match for doing the top rope double stomp to break up a pin. It's a great move. And like the crowd are getting back into Loki. It's like finally, you know, Loki's just doing cool shit and the crowd are like, oh, yes, we like this guy. Let's cheer him. It's crazy how like his thing uh, broke apart for a while there. Because mm, they were treating him as a nerd and now he's just back to winning matches and doing cool shit. Suddenly the crowd are into him again. Huh. Mm. It's interesting how that works. Yeah, I know, right? So yeah, Loki won the match. He's number one contender for the X Division title, but Cash laid him out after the match with the smash mouth to the face, but then Don Harris ran him off. Yeah, big Cash Don Harris feud still going. So later in the show, we cut the backstage where Loki and Daniels are brawling, and then Daniels hits him with a chair. Yeah, that was um a pretty brutal chair shot. Yeah, because the it, Loki was going to Japan, but they made him number one contender, so they had to take him out for a week to tell a story. But I, I didn't mind it though. And I like that because we're getting into the reformation of Triple X mm. that it wasn't just they oh, they're all friends <laughs> again, you know? Like, there's some dissension still between Daniels and Key, which will have to be resolved. Yeah, Daniels and Loki still hate each other for good reason, because, you know, he just hit him with a chair and took his title shot away. Yeah, and, like, Skipper's like, no, I'm going to get you both on the same side, though. So, yeah, I would question Eric Watt's decision-making process when he's like, all right, so Loki's taken out by Christopher Daniels. Let's give Daniels the title shot instead. Well, Garrett. Yes. <laughs> Daniels hasn't declared his allegiance to Jeff Jarrett, mm -hmm. and the other option was Kid Cash. Are you suggesting that perhaps Eric Watts is wielding his power to try and influence people to his side? Mm, just saying. Someone was on the fence. I would personally just say that if I were in TNA, I would start attacking people that have title shots. <laughs> Unrelated to this, just in general. Yeah, just attacking people just to take their title shot away from them. Yeah. I always liked that when they would do it immediately before a match because they're like, "Oh God, we need we need someone right now, and you're the only one here. You have to take the shot." Yeah, I guess that makes more sense though. Yeah, like um, Edge taking out Kofi mm. before the elimination chamber. And they're like, "Well, fuck, what do we do?" Fine. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and he and he just forced himself into the the chamber. Like, I, well, I guess you're in it. Nobody's here to say no. Yeah, and we got to start the match. So on that first show of the month, Saban and Dutter backstage with Scott Hudson. San Sanjay talks about his unprecedented rise, and then Saban. Starts to suggest, you know, what if we did Ultimate X2, huh? Ultimate X2, huh? And Scott's like, Ultimate X2? He's flabbergasted at the mere suggestion. How are they going to top Ultimate X1? Ideally by the belt not Probably falling having down. a belt that stays on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which leads us to Shane Douglas and Michael Shane defeating Chris Saban and Sanjay Dodd after uh, Tracy with an eye hit the pie in the sky and Sanjay Dodd allowing Shane to hit a super kick for the win. This match 
it was very interesting to me because Shane Douglas was bumping like a madman for Saban and Sanjay. He also was like, I'm going to work this exhibition style. Like, it's it's very rare that you see a guy of the legacy and the stature of Shane Douglas. Not that he was this huge star in the industry, but he's a guy who's been around for a long time, who's usually more cynical than this. But like, this match is built to Sanjay getting the hot tag and, and Shane Douglas being the guy who's tagged in on the other end of the hot tag. And like, Shane Douglas just bumps for Sanjay. He just bumps for him. He just, every single move Sanjay does... Shane Douglas says but he doesn't cut him off there's no ego there he just bumps and feeds for Sanjay in a way that's like I'm impressed by you here Shane Douglas just by your sheer lack of ego I think he's also he enjoys getting young talent over at this stage because mm. even when um he wanted to do his own thing for a while there he was like my big focus here is that I want to get young talent and help them get over yeah so Shane is now the longest reigning exhibition champion in TNA history about four months what a rain. That's a thing that's being reinforced. But it's like this is an 18-month-old company, so you know what? Having a four-month rain isn't bad. Especially in a, a, a belt designed to be kind of thrown about. Especially in the early days when they did throw that belt about, especially between Styles, Loki, and Lynn. They're just like, bounce it, bounce it, bounce it, yeah, bounce it. I'm pretty sure Styles and Lynn are like seven-time champions at this point. Yeah, remember Shaw Maltman had the belt? No. <laughs> <laughs> so Saban goes to do his big step-up dive to Shane Douglas, but Shane Douglas pulls Tracy in the way. Saban is honorable. He doesn't do it. Of course. Uh, a decent man. Because he, now he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a babyface now, apparently. Saban of, like, three months ago would have been like, yeah, well, I don't give a shit. Uh, I'll jump on a woman. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy franchise. I just enjoy franchise. Because there's a moment where, like, he's in the ring with Sanjay, uh, and he does a shoulder block, and he takes Sanjay down. And he just does a cackle. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's just like, ah, ha, ha, I took down Sanjay Dutt. <laughs> he's very pleased with himself. Ain't I great? He's like Jeff Jarrett, yeah. If Shane Douglas was in the Jarrett position... <laughs> I think the show would be better, honestly. Because his promos would be more fun, at least. I think Shane Douglas is a more giving performer. Yeah. So yeah, Douglas and Shane won after Shane won with the Superkick. Douglas and Shane. Yes, the new <laughs> franchise. That's what they should call themselves. No, they should just be called Shane Douglas. <laughs> Shane Douglas. It's just, it's both of them. It's not the first one. Yeah. Should be Shane and Shane. Anyway, TNA baby number 74, X Division title match between Christopher Daniels and Michael Shade. Most notable for the hard way blood that Christopher Daniels got in this match. They showed a video package the following week where they showed the very <laughs> deep cut over his, I think, right eye. That, goodness, that was a lot of blood. I really enjoyed during the watch along where you're like, was, do you think it was like, it was hard way? And then like, 10 minutes later we're like ah it was definitely a hard yeah because I was watching this where Daniels is bleeding a lot I'm like the structure of this match doesn't really suggest to me that Daniels bled intentionally and the pattern of the blood was that not the like traditional yeah. over the forehead it was more like around the side of the face where it's like oh that does look hard way and as you mentioned the next week they do show like a backstage video of just a violent cut over to Daniels right eye it's, it's a deep looking one as well it was like the side of his head we dexted this Mm. We looked at the blood patterns and we 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 had to determine that in fact it was a hard way. We did a whole CSI Miami turn to the camera, pulled the glasses off. It's like it looks like it was hard way. Yow! Yeah. Yeah. Decent little match. Otherwise, the blood did add to it. The blood of like hard way blood. It's always just so much more distinct than a traditional pro wrestling blade job. Yeah, because it's real. I like when like um people get get like hard way blood. They um there's a moment of like fuck. And like, oh, I'm going to roll with it. Mm. Well, well, Which leads to like, um, we have to talk about the promos. Yeah, the, the most famous version of that is, of course, the Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly match, which is dying a death and then blood and suddenly it's the best match in Ring of Honor history. Yeah. I remember, I remember, that match was like one of the matches that got me like in, in on Ring of Honor. Because I, I, like, I remember being on Twitter during that match 
And literally everyone like being like, this kind of sucks. And then the blood came up and it's like, by the end of that match, it's like, oh, this is the best match in Ring of Honor history. All it takes is some teeth getting knocked out. Yeah. So Michael Shane retains. Tracy tried to interfere, but Daniels kicked out of the super kick. Shane then tried to use a chain, but Saban stopped him, threw the chain to Daniels. Uh, Daniels used the chain, but... Perfect, by the way. Yeah, because he kicked it out of his hand and Shane like flung it backward and Daniels caught it. it very satisfyingly done. 100%. And Daniels used the chain, but the referee happened to turn around as he used it and saw Daniels using a disqualification win for Michael Shane. God, I have um, uh, an off-topic thing. Sure. I want, I want, but I want to get your impressions on this. Go ahead. Uh, a Fightful uh, Wrestling at Fightful tweeted one hour ago, mm-hmm. Will Smith slaps former TNA star Chris Rock at the Oscars. Thank you. And I don't... I appreciate the acknowledgement. Right. I feel slightly like a bit has been stolen. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard they're, they're chasing the clout of the You've Got to Be Kidding Me cover podcast. A little bit, you know? A little bit. Because, you know... Every episode since Chris Rock appeared has started with the opening quote on each episode of our podcast. TNA is the best wrestling in the world. Chris Rock is an integral part of our podcast. Yeah. Chris Rock has been on nearly every episode. For some reason, Garrett, me typing Chris Rock YouTube didn't pull up our video first. (laughs) Damn it, we don't have the SEO. Are you replying to the tweet with the... Yes. Very good. Well done. (laughs) This is live, on-air, buzz marketing of the podcast. Hello, friends. I think it. I think it hid my response because it was just a link. <laughs> Listen, let me retweet it. I I will boost it. There we go. We're, we're making moves, making million dollar moves. We're attempting to I'll, I'll link you. manipulate Sean Ross Sapp's platform for our own <laughs> benefit. Listen, he, if he does it, we can do it too. This is the retweet, like. I'm gonna retweet and like it from the podcast account now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is how we get the one thousand. Retweet. Like, this is what our discussion of the X Division has descended into. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you should go to at the Gleet Muta. Find Liam's tweet about... <laughs> or just go to your Twitter and find it. I'm trying to buzz market your Twitter here, Liam. I'm trying to push people toward your wonderful Twitter account. And then you just uh, you just deflect. To your wonderful Twitter account. Which has a lot of followers. Too many. Alright, there's no need for that. Flexing with my followers on you. Yeah, Michael Shane, retained by DQ. Daniels and Saban brawled after the match. Later in that same show, we get Chris Saban versus Shane Douglas. Saban beats Douglas with a victory roll. Shane and Tracy tried to interfere, but failed. Again, franchise just losing to Chris Saban. I like that he's willing to do this. I don't know if I like that this is happening right at the start of the new franchise. Like, this stable is already kind of a dud. (laughs) Yeah, but I I felt like it had potential, because I like everyone involved. Mm, So they're already just like an X-Division stable. Like, Douglas is basically a manager who wrestles. I kind of thought this was going to be a bigger deal, Mm. but apparently not. Yeah, a wacky contrast of styles between these two. Just, like, Shane Douglas, your, like, traditional pro wrestling heel, works a very traditional pro wrestling style in this kind of match. And then Saban with your modern kind of cruiserweight style of the the, the indies, like, coming out of WCW, that post-WCW cruiserweight indie hybrid style. And, yeah, it's just interesting to see these two in the ring together. I don't hate it, though. Yeah. It's a fun little uh, contrast. It's also a battle of the colors of yellow and black. Ooh. Both very fond of those two colors. I feel like uh, Douglas perhaps gets the gets the right to the colors. He has perhaps been using them a tad bit longer. Just a, just a smidge. And they're Philadelphia sports colors, aren't they? That's where he got the yellow and black from, right? Yes. I think that's true. I'm, so, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, okay. You got the Philadelphia. They're like, like green. I think it's the, it's the Penguins, isn't it? The Penguins? Pittsburgh. Or Pennsylvania sports, not Philadelphia sports. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the Penguins' colors, yellow and black. 
See, I've already corrected myself. To the people who were writing the messages being like, you meant Pittsburgh sports, not Philadelphia sports, already corrected myself. If you wrote that message, I know you didn't listen far enough into the show. If you wrote, if you wrote that message, you're fucking <laughs> So, yeah, um, there's also a fun stat that Franchise's career is as old as Chris Saban is. He's been wrestling as long as Chris Saban has been alive. I always like those fun little things. Jesus Christ. Yes. So, Saban won with a roll-up, which brings us to the next week, in which Loki finally gets his X-Division Championship match against Michael Shane. But earlier in that show, because of the issues they had coming out of that X-Division title match, Christopher Daniels faces Chris Saban. Mm-hmm. Main thing from this match, Daniels won with the Angels' wings after Elix Skipper returned to TNA to cost Saban the match and then threw up the triple X gesture, which Daniels then kind of winked at. He was like, ooh, I'm intrigued by this triple X proposal. It's prime time, baby. This made me think that, like, they were aligned, but I think we found out later in the show that they were kind of... This is Skipper doing it of his own volition, trying to get the boys back together, which I like a lot more. Yeah, so Skipper is the the kind of catalyst here, trying to put Triple X back together, knowing that Daniels and Loki are at odds at the moment. But yeah, I like the idea that he didn't even consult Daniels about it. It's not even like, oh, Daniels, I'll come out and cost save in this match. It's like, no, I'll I'll do that as my gesture of good faith toward Daniels, trying to put Triple X back together. So I know Elix Skipper signed a two-year deal with TNA last week, thus his return to the company. I locked down. Uh, no, that's a pay-per-view in 2005. Shut up. Michael Shade defeated Loki to retain the X Division title after he got his knees up in a 450 and then grabbed a small package. A note about that finish. Finish looked botched. This is from the Wrestling Observer. As Loki did a 450 moonsault. It's just a 450 day if you don't need moonsault. But got his knees up and cradled Loki. Loki appeared to kick out. The ref counted three anyway and everyone just stood there like something screwed up. Apparently what happened was that it wasn't the scheduled finish. Shane's body went numb. It was a scary night because apparently that happened to Alter Boy Luke as well earlier in the show. Since he could hardly move, he called for the finish off that move as an audible. Loki wasn't supposed to lose clean. Tracy and Shane Douglas were supposed to come out and interfere, which is why he'd have a gripe and set up the Ultimate X. So all of the stuff that happened after the match was just kind of meant to be the finish of the match because they did the 450. Shane cradled Loki. Then Tracy faked an, a knee injury, which was supposed to be what led to the interference from Shane Douglas. Like the referee was supposed to check on the knee injury. Shane Douglas ran out, cost Loki the match. Michael Shane wins. But because they skipped all that, Tracy still faked the knee injury, which was like, oh, did she actually get hurt? Because Loki put her up, brought her up for the uh, key crusher and then Michael Shane knocked yeah. them both over. So like, there was a moment of like, is she actually hurt? Because it made no sense within the context of what they were doing. But it made sense within the context of what they were meant to do. So there you go. And I don't even get mad at this, though. It's just one of those things that I Yeah, hate. it's just a, an unfortunate occurrence. So yeah, Shane Douglas comes out. They, they attack Loki. Elix Skipper makes the save, brawls to the back with Shane Douglas. Daniels comes out, gets back into it with Loki. They're still not pals. They're fighting. Yeah, but he makes the save first. Like, he makes the save for Key. And then they, like, have an awkward, we like, knock each other moment. And then they start throwing hands. Yeah, so then Shane, Loki, Saban, and uh, Daniels are all brawling in the ring, separated to four corners by security, until Eric Watts comes out and announces that all four men will face off on January 7th in the second Ultimate X match with the X-Vision title on the line. I'm excited. Yeah, Ultimate X 2. It's fun to see, like, the development of this stipulation to see, you know, ideally that they don't screw it up and don't have the belt fall, which they don't. Do But we'll see. We see a death in this one. There has never been a death in Ultimate X, I'll have you know. You know what I mean. What do you mean? What do do you mean? One of those classic Ultimate X, someone almost dies taking a move at some point moments. No, there's only a couple of those. Yeah, but they involve Daniels half the time, so I'm like... (laughs) 
I was just curious if this is one of those occurrences. Because one, Daniels has been in a lot of these matches and he has done some very like enthusiastic, optimistic, ambitious bumps. <laughs> and mm. to be fair, most of them have come off. Most of them are tremendous. Yeah. Also, this is the place to do it. Mm. But then there is that one with, with suicide, Frankie Kazarian in 2009 that when he dies. Yeah. See. Ah, so someone does die. No, no one has died. Uh, There's just been a suicide in Ultimate X, not a death. <laughs> hey, 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 see what it did there? Has there been a homicide in Ultimate X? There has! There's been a suicide and homicide in Ultimate X, but not a death. A genocide. Not a genocide. No. She hasn't done one yet. If Sabu did Ultimate X, it would be a game changer. If it was genocide versus homicide versus suicide versus Sabu. In Ultimate X, yes. That is the pro wrestling dream match. Didn't Seidel used to have like a name like that too? Did he? I think Matt Seidel was genocide at one point. That's a weird name. I think that was... I'm going to find out. You keep going. Uh, yeah, that's our exhibition stuff for the month, for the most part. Building to Ultimate X next month. So we'll be covering that in the January 2004 episode. Ultimate X 2. It's crazy how um Ultimate X with a... Sorry, the exhibition with a direction always feels so much better. And I think that's been the big problem. Like, I don't think the flatness of the exhibition in the back half of the year has been Michael Shane's fault. I just think they've had no ideas for the X Division. Mm. Like, they have good talent. I also think that uh, it's also not a priority for them, you know? I think that's illustrated by the fact that there is very few undercard X Division people at any given moment compared to how it used to be, where it's like there'd be at least two X Division matches in every show. You know, Sanjay mm. shows up every so often. Like, Sanjay's in the, the first show of the month where he faces Douglas and Shane teaming with Sabin, but then he disappears for the rest of the month. Eric Young appeared once or twice but disappears. Like, the undercard X Division is basically non existent. So, like, you have a good core group of talent. You have Daniels, you have Sabin, you have Shane, and you've had Kazarian for a while who's also disappeared. But it's just the lack of focus. Yeah, which is why as soon as they have direction and it all comes across so much better. Mm. So that brings us to tag teams. We've kind of been talking about it throughout. We've been covering around it, but it, uh, we'll, we'll cover the rest of the main segments. So the, we talked about that segment where Trail K came out and AMW confronted them, which led to the making of a three-way tag team number one contendership match, which was AMW against Diamond and Swinger against David Young and Glengal Birdie. The whole idea was Glengal Birdie was like, oh, no matter who wins, we'll give Diamond and Swinger the title shot. So it was four on two, but they still had miscommunication. They're still not on the same page, allowing AMW to win. Mm-hmm. This is your favorite story of the month, so I assume you have loads of things to say about it. <laughs> um, I, it's more that uh, I appreciate the promos. I like the the sniping at each other throughout the month, and I like the the, the just like the cartoonishly uh, stupid interactions of yeah, we 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 have chairs for them right here, and then they're like, what? We didn't get no invite, and they look at David like, David, did you not tell them? And he's like, oh, I didn't tell them. My favorite part is Glengal Birdie just says, "Do you think I'm stupid?" To which Scott Hudson, Simon Diamond, and Johnny Swinger in unison say yes. Yes. <laughs> and if, if you listen closely, you can hear just one woman in the crowd shout at the top of her lungs, Hell yes! <laughs> I, yeah, I'm enjoying the, I You know me, I, I am a sucker for goofball heels. And these are for goofball heels. Yeah, Harris had a wild crossbody off the top, taking out everybody. AMW are number one contenders to go on to face three live crew the next week for the NWA World Tag Team titles. Yeah, um, which feels like the biggest match possible. It's just kind of sad in its own way, isn't it? Yeah, but like, you know, they're two established teams at this point. Mm. 
So yeah, Diamond and Swinger at ringside, they got into it with David Young. They, they caused issues, killings, and Storm took them out with dives, but then Gilberti slipped in the back, hit Chris Harris with a chair, unbeknownst to 3LK, they were not aligned, but allowing 3LK to retain over AMW. I like that, um, sorry, this is just more talking about NYC. <laughs> I like that Gilberti seems to, like, is seemingly likes David Young now, because mm. <laughs> he's, like, picking Young over the other two. He's just, he's he loves them. He just wants to manage his success far into the future. He's his buddy. I personally would choose Diamond and Swinger, but you know what? To each their own. Well, he isn't the tag champs with Diamond and Swinger. He could be the tag champs with David Young. That's true. It's it's all just greed on his end. Mm. He wants the belt. He's jealous. Which actually makes sense to check out with Glengelberry's character. So you know what? Yeah. It's almost like it's a good storyline. I like that Um, mm. Diamond and Swinger were both like, I don't like you saying that we're with... Jarrett, like speaking on our behalf. I mean, we might, we probably are, but like, don't you say it? Yeah, it's just like we we are men of our own authority. You do not speak for us. Yeah, I I, I like this stuff, and I, I like the way like that comes from the fact that they were dragged into an alliance with David Young against their will. So like, yeah, Glenn's choice of talent to associate with isn't exactly on their level. Exactly. Is it, see, you're selling yourself on it. Yeah, there's deep layers to it. I was not considering. Hmm. So then we had two tag team matches on the last show of the month, December 17th, 2003. First of which was America's Most Wanted against Glengilberti and David Young in a street fight. A uh, little fun match. It's plunder with these guys, so it's probably going to be good. Yeah, it's just like they're doing stuff. The finish is that he, uh, Harris spears Glengilberti into a ladder before Storm hits a swanton off the top through a table onto David Young, gets the pin. So yeah, it's good stuff. It's just good stuff. Storm feels like he's working real hard at the moment because he doesn't want to get left behind. <laughs> there is a story that I didn't include because it felt mean-spirited, but you brought it up, so I'll bring it up. About how like they're worried about James Storm's weight gain and they see Chris Harris as the star of the team. So they want to, uh, again, move toward potentially breaking up America's Most Wanted. <laughs> yeah, but also Storm wins in the end, so you know. <laughs> yeah, and Storm once again did a cool thing off the top rope, and he was probably the thing. The, the lasting impression of this match was the finish that Swanton threw the table. So, James Storm, well done. Once again, overcoming the odds, fighting against the tide to become the true star of America's Most Wanted. I'm, I'm so looking forward to when TNA finds like its identity as like comedy shtick <laughs> uh, era. And we get James Storm being like a goofball. Uh, silly James Storm. It's, it, it takes the heel turn. He becomes the Glenn Gilberti of the show when you think about it. Yeah, see? <laughs> and there's a reason why I'm excited. And then the other tag match of the month was a dream match between Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger against AJ Styles and Dilo Brown. Yep, it's a dream match. Now you might think, that doesn't sound like a dream match. They don't mean don't. dream match in the context of like match in your dreams. It is a match where the person who wins will get the title shot of their choosing. Thus, they will fulfill their dreams. It's ironically both for me. Oh, you were just waking up every morning being like, oh, last night I had a wonderful dream about a Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger against AJ Styles and D'Lo Brown match. Mm-hmm. It was everything I could possibly want it to be. Now my dream match is me. You, know? you against AJ Styles and D'Lo Brown teaming with Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger. You, like, in the body of David Young. No, my literal dream match of me and Claudio Cazzanoli versus Cesaro and Chris Hero. Oh, yeah, that's a wacky dream match. Again, not very practical. Well, I think he could do it. He's a hell of a performer. Are you sure it wasn't you and Cesaro? It was me and Cesaro. Against Cesaro and Chris Hero? No, it was me and, uh, me and Cesaro versus Claudio and Hero. But what, where's Cesaro in this? Uh, he, we're non-existent at this point in, in life. 
So finish of this match, AJ and D'Lo look to do the the stereo 450 frog splash thing they do, which they hit in perfect sync once, and it was the best thing in TNA history. Um, but Styles go for sort of springboard. He sees Jared coming, and he just sort of scrambles and kind of falls off the top to the outside. Yeah, rules. I think he was meant to do like a double springboard onto Jared and then start brawling, but I think it's almost better that he was like flustered and fell over. He ate shit. Yeah, he just fell to the floor. He was rough looking, man. Jarrett and Styles then started brawling their true styles into the crowd and then Diamond and Swinger hit the problem solver to beat D'Lo to make themselves number one contenders with the world acting titles. I like that Diamond and Swinger won this. Why? The team that's actually sticking around. That's a good point. Beating the team on their last match ever. And yeah, the idea here is that Jarrett has now taken Styles and D'Lo out of contendership for the world title because neither of them would get their dream match. And even before the match, they were like, we're fine with whoever wins. Whether it's me or you, we don't have a problem. We just want to take the belt off Jarrett. I hope Simon Diamond goes. All right, I want my NWA title match against Jeff Jarrett now. I don't, yeah, who actually got the pin? I didn't, I didn't know who actually got the pin. So te- mm. technically they could demand the NWA world title match. They should. Maybe they'll go after the X Division title. Maybe they want to be put in Ultimate X. Maybe they want to be added to the girls of TNA 2004 calendar. Oh, don't we all? It's the true prize here in the NWA TNA. <laughs> and then, best of the rest, basically just Kid Cash and Don Harris finished off. Yeah. We had X getting, like, a one more appearance. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, X showed up. He had a match against Don Harris. He won after Kid Cash ran in, distracting him, allowing X to hit him with a chain. And that's the last you will talk about PCO until 2022. I kind of thought that X was going to be... Cash's new monster. Which would make sense. That would work. And you could have him drop the look. Do you think they pivoted directions because they were like, oh, we're going to put Cash with Jarrett, but X doesn't really work there, so we're just going to stop using X. He could work if he just took the fucking mask off. But like, they already have Abyss in that stable, so they don't need another big mean guy. An Abyss PCO team doesn't fucking appeal to you? They would have a hell of a match against AMW. <sighs> they would do some dumb shit. So yeah, X beat Don Harris, then Cash ran away again, leading to them finally facing. We talked about the match they already had on NWTNA baby number 74, December 10th, where that set up the Jarrett promo. Kid Cash defeated Don Harris with help from Jeff Jarrett, returning the favor after Cash helped Jarrett beat Styles the week before. This feels like um, a bit of a step up for Cash. Yeah, he's into main events. Yeah. Now he's um, in the Jarrett group. And fair enough, he's the guy to take falls in the main events, but he's still in the main events. I was thinking about... um. While watching these shows, how it's kind of uh, Cash's longevity has been impressive. Because mm. not only has he been around a long time, like others have, but he's been on TV like consistently. And he's been in stories consistently. Because there's a lot of people who are on the show a lot, but Cash consistently, had, he had the thing with Trinity, which you, you can debate the quality of the stories. But Yeah. He had the babyface run when he first came in. Yeah, and he was like just a random X Division guy. Then he had the X Division title run. And he, like even now, like they gave him this little mini program with Don Harris for some reason, just because they're like, we need to give Kid Cash something to do. He had the Legends run. He had the Abyss tag team. Mm. So yeah, he's a he's been a busy goose here in his first year and a half in TNA. He kind of feels like he's taken uh, Lynn's kind of mid card story guy role. That's true, especially if Lynn's not around to have that role. Mm-hmm. So those are our broad topics for NWA TNA in the month of December, the last month of 2003. We'll do like a more broad 2003 retrospective on Patreon. We talk about the best and worst of 2003. But like uh, high level, quick thoughts. How do you feel about 2003, Liam? It had a lot of things I enjoyed, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly during the start and middle. I think it petered off towards the end. I haven't left 2003 with the best taste in my mouth, Mm -hmm. but I'm... I'm a little more optimistic than I was 
uh, last couple months. Yeah, because like the first I don't know three four months of the year were the the Vince Russo work shoot stuff, which not necessarily good, but it's watchable. Something's happening. Yeah, things are happening. You can laugh at it if nothing else. And then the middle portion of the year, I think they really did find their stride starting from that Jarrett Raven title match where they built that big title match, which was a big success that sold out the asylum. It did a big number on pay-per-view. And that, that, that was the moment where they were like, we can do this. We can actually be a wrestling company that promotes matches that people want to watch. And I think then they had a few months basically between the Jarrett Raven title match and the Super X Cup, where it's like, that's the peak of TNA so far. Like, it's not all perfect. There's some, like, up and down months. But, like, for the most part, it's going in the right direction. Then you get the Super X Cup. Probably the best show in TNA history at that point. 100%. And then you get the show after that, which is the Raven versus Douglas Hair versus Hair match, which is a really good, satisfying blow-off to that story. And then October, November are really, really, like, just lifeless. Just absolutely lifeless. And December, like, it's not great, but there's signs of life again, which makes me at least a little more enthusiastic. Yeah, that's basically it. We had some, like, the highest highs of TNA so far. But the lowest lows. With the, and yeah, the lowest lows at the same time. Yeah. It's just annoying, like, that this company would be so good if it just focused on being a wrestling company, but half the time they don't want to be that, or they're too busy trying to be something else. Or they're too busy just making the show all about Jarrett. Yeah. There you go. That's 2004. Let's go very quickly, show by show, if there's anything. 2004? Oh, sweet. We can skip 2005. It's December 3rd. It's the end of your teenager, baby number 73. You have any other notes? I want to comment on, I forgot to mention, AJ Styles' baby blue gear. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. I love this gear. It's his best gear so far for me. Mm. Very baby face gear as well. Uh, we had them talking about how X could have killed Chris Saban. Yeah, you can remember. Oh, I love that segment where they, they do a full feature with Scott Demore making his on-camera debut and Mike Tanay talking about how absolutely insane that X bump was where he did the top rope sent on off the top to the ramp. Saban moved, he just went thud. And they're like, yeah, as I mentioned, if, if he hit him, he could have died. He could have died. Yeah, uh, which makes it even more insane that they're just getting rid of X. But Yeah, it was on that show. It was like they did that pre-tape. They then went into the X match against Don Harris, which X won. And then X just just gone maybe there maybe there was more in play than we thought maybe it was expensive getting him from canada mm. or something who knows so yeah x good time during the opener on this match which was loki against daniels against kid cash while loki was doing his kicks don west on commentary mm-hmm. <laughs> asked the question what was that oriental movie where they could do all those crazy things mm. and he left a pause it's like the matrix <laughs> well are you sure he wasn't working on Team Bondi? Before he eventually did say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which I think was the movie he was trying to think about in the first place. I'm going to re- only refer to that movie as that Oriental movie where they do those flips and kicks. What, The Matrix? Yes. <laughs> when it was announced that Piper was making his return on the December 10th show, Mike Tanay said, What could TNA management be thinking? It's one thing for Piper to send in a videotape where he can be edited, but for him to appear live? <laughs> that was just, um, Mike Tanay didn't know he was on camera then. I love even babyface announcer Mike Tanay is like, we can't let this guy have a live microphone. And to be fair, he was probably the most coherent he's been in a long time. So Yeah, so anything else from that show? Oh, the new motion graphics. Oh, God, yeah, it's the last show of the month. 
I love them. They're bad, but I love them. Last show of the month has new motion graphics, which are first they start with saying Eric Watts presents. They misspelled Eric. They added a C. But Eric Watts proudly presents, and then they run down the card and they do the classic like turnaround. My favorite moment, if you watch it very closely, watch D'Lo Brown. This is on the You've Got to Be Kidding Me Twitter account. Go to Teenager Rod on Twitter, and you can see these motion graphics for yourself. But the, if you watch D'Lo, he does the turnaround. He does his pose. And then he breaks pose to move away very quickly in the last second. <laughs> it's so good. My favorite part of this is that they're all like 240p and pixelated. Yeah. Including the TNA logo. <laughs> and like the, they're differently sized because for some reason like a tag team match has them all like tiny in the foreground. But a singles match is like normally sized filling the entire frame. <laughs> it's a great experience and they have these like weird effects where they're like in black and white and then at a moment when they do the pose they bang into color it's it's good stuff again they're not good but i love them yeah they're they're a lot of fun i wonder how much time it took jv to make those i wonder is like because they they filmed all that those scans and stuff for like the action figures and video games i wonder was it like let's use these for graphics as well i still don't believe that those actually happened what, the action figures and video games? The action figures, yes. I don't think the video games people did any scanning. Mm. Let's talk about Sting's one. Oh, yeah, because they didn't have a, a PNG of Sting turning toward the camera. So it's just a JPEG still shot of him from like two months ago in wrestling. Tremendous. It's very good. It is very, it's like the universal experience, Leah. When you Google Sting PNG, then you download what you think is a Sting PNG, but it actually has like the letterboxing in the background and you've been lied to. <laughs> yeah. Which happens to me all the time. Literally, it's the universal experience of when you when you try to make literally anything in Photoshop or even paint on the internet. You get those people uploading fake PNGs. And yeah, it's that happened to TNA. They were like, we got our sting.png. Oh no, there's a box thing. We have to use a JPEG. JB's like, it's seven in the morning. I haven't slept. Where do I get a shot of Sting from? <laughs> At the start of the show, during the Don Harris against Kid Cash match, this is the December 10th show. My Tanae notes, because Jarrett comes out and he hits Don with a guitar causing the, the, the cash win. My Tanae notes that the referee never saw the guitar shot. Like that matter is given, like, Chris Harris used the chair right in front of him like two seconds ago. Listen, he's trying. Or Don Harris even. He's just hitting Kid Cash. He's trying his best. Kid, yeah, bad referee. There's no rules in this company, Liam. No, the referees, like, I think are meant to be intentionally bad at this point. <laughs> it's, it's a commitment to the bit. I'll give them credit for that. I honestly, I don't even mean that as a joke. I think they're intentionally making, like, Rudy to be, like, a bad ref. Mm. So they can get away with doing bad finishes. And then last show of the month, December 17th, NWTNA paper number 76, which is the one we did the watch along for. Sorry, this is 75. I, I, I've mislabeled it in my notes. Yeah, you, 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 you threw me up then. I was like, what the hell? But yeah, the, uh, the troops would have been the only thing I had to note, so. Yeah, so uh, that's watch along at tnachat.com, patreon.com slash kidding me. The dancing TNA girls were wearing Santa hats. As one does. Mm. Uh, it, it didn't feel very Christmassy. I feel like they could have committed harder on that. They should have added some tinsel, mm. added some kind of Christmas-related stipulation. Just do what AEW doesn't make graphics. <laughs> Just add some snow to graphics. Yeah. Sting is on the show. They should have had the Sting snow. Ah, and had Tony. Indeed. And very quickly, the December 24th and 31st shows were best of. December 24th was the best of the X Division. December 31st was the best of 2003. So December 24th had Jerry Lynn and Amazing Red versus Triple X. Styles Clash was named Finisher of the Year. 
Saban did a promo hyping up Lever X2. They showed Saban and Hubie from the Super X Cup finals. They showed a video about Daniels remembering the Triple X versus AMW match. A video about San- Sanjay winning the Triple X chan- uh, triple chance invitational. The Triple X chance. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's when you have to beat all Triple X, which has happened. Jeff Jarrett did it. Oh, no, he, he did the Triple X challenge. AJ Styles against Loki for the world title. Kid Cash's 2003 highlight was joining. Jarrett, Don, Don Callis did a promo on Eric Watts. They showed Ultimate X. Michael Shane won X Division Star of the Year. And then probably the most important story development, Don Callis was talking to Goldilocks. And he's like, it's all about the money. <gasps> and then Watts is on borrowed time, to which Goldilocks replied, how much money? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Goldilocks, like Goldie Digger. Wow, got her. <laughs> and then December 31st, it was the best of 2003. AMW were named Tag Team of the Year. They showed a Diamond and Swinger against AMW match. Footage of Styles and Sting against Luger and Jarrett. Footage of Michael Shane and David Young wrestling in Mexico. Video on Jeff Jarrett this year. Then the Jarrett and AJ title match from the end of the year, not the first one. The Scalping of Raven. A Shark Boy and New Jack new recap for some reason. They like that story. The Shark Boy got over huge, remember? Uh, highlights from Ultimate X again. I guess to promote the Ultimate X match coming up on January 7th. I think they did the actual match on the last one, so this was just the highlights. And then Jared versus Raven, which is probably still the biggest match in TNA history. Then they announced the nominations for Mr. TNA or AJ Styles or Jeff Jarrett. Who would you choose, Liam? Raven. Eric Watts. And then ended it with the cage match between Abyss and Northcutt against Raven and The Gathering. Wait, I can't even vote for Kid Cash. He had a sign telling me to vote for him. He did. Well, you could vote for who was like the, the final two, and then the final two would be announced. Uh, I'd probably vote for AJ Styles. Wow. You'd be shocked at that. Anti-Jeff Jarrett agenda. That's me. So that's it. That is December 2003, as you underline AJ Styles in the show notes, just to make sure everybody knows. <laughs> That is December 2003 in TNA. We'll be starting into 2004 on our next episode. As we mentioned at the start of the show, we'll be doing our 2003 TNA draft and our 2003 TNA year in review on Patreon over the next couple of weeks. Also, uh, Rain Takers episode two covering the New Japan 40th anniversary show with the Okada Naito match for the IWGP Heavyweight title. A great, great pro wrestling match. That's on Patreon now in the $5 tier. We have the... New Japan Cup coming up in the next one. Yeah, on April 8th will be our next episode of Rain Takers where we'll cover the 2012 New Japan Cup final show. Uh, Ring Cat King coming next weekend. Also, if you would like to go catch up on Ring Cat King. War Games. Oh yeah, the, sorry, the Ring Cat King World Cup. Yes. So we got two big things coming up uh, of equal stature. Of course, the 2012 New Japan Cup finals and the Ring Cat King World Cup. Which both happened at roughly the same time as well, so... We've, we've really stuck around these early 2010s with our Patreon content. Yeah, our, our full series on the Monday Night Wars is there if you'd like to listen to it now. All the episodes about Raw and Impact going head-to-head in 2010. Marathon it. Yeah, you can go and... I think it's 10 episodes. You can listen to them all. They're waiting for you on patreon.com slash me or tnhat.com. We have over 50 pieces of exclusive audio on that Patreon now. It's a very good value proposition now. You can follow us on Twitter at TNHistoryPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. You can follow Liam on Twitter at at the Gleet Muta. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Do you listening?